And welcome to another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast where you get your calcio to go. I'm Frank Cravillo. He's Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. How are we doing on this uh, Wednesday? We're on a Wednesday now. Yeah, yeah. You know, we figured we wanted to keep our wives and our families. So uh, Sunday night was out since the kids had to, you know, do their trick or treat thing. And, you know, yeah. my wife's birthday was was last night and. Uh, so we figured let's let's do it Wednesday and let's have an excuse to talk about the fortunes of the Champions League teams a, a little bit more in depth. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm excited to talk all the games for not only Serie A, but also Champions League. But before we begin, I need to first make my apologies. Last episode, we were talking about some of the fan reaction cams that we had. And and one of the guests that, that did a, a spot for us, I forgot his name. I feel embarrassed about it. So I'm going to give him special love right now. Ryan Malik uh, is a Milanisti. Uh, he, I mean, like Nisa, excuse me, him and his son did a nice uh, post-match interview for the first leg of uh, Juve, or Juve, Milan and Porto. Did a great job. They have this nice YouTube page. Definitely check it out. But uh, I feel bad just because I, I, I fluffed his name. So I want to give him a special shout out today to say, you know, hey, we love you. So thank you. Okay, well that's that, that's good that you that you've come clean. I've never made a mistake like that, uh, you know, in the near six years we've done this. So I'm sure my time's coming though. Sabrina, Anthony, Anthony, good to have you with us. Uh, everybody else, check in with us, chat, drop a like, uh, subscribe if you haven't already, uh, helps us out big time. Uh, so, um, we are, uh, gonna just kind of tweak the format a little bit. Like I said, we're going to kind of put the attention on how are things going with the champions league? Uh, how are things looking on the Europa league front with the Serie A teams? But before we get into that, Richard, why don't we discuss this? Uh, you know, we're going to give everybody the cliff notes version of what, we observed over match day 11 uh, over last weekend. Hit us up. You, we'll start with you. Three things that you took away from last weekend's games. Well, one of the things is obviously the hot topic is referees, right? Everyone, many games, not just the big games. And the big games in this weekend were Roma Milan, Atalanta Lazio. But in every game, it seemed like whether home or abroad, refereeing was a topic of discussion right uh lot, many fan bases were angry a lot of the romanisti were, were angry milanisti were angry too there there's it went both ways right and uh so a lot of angry fan bases there but so that's one um two for me milan and napoli continue to find ways to find get results win right neither did it particularly beautiful milan was looking good early but then you know thanks to teo hernandez they had to they had to scruff it out and then napoli same thing they had a challenge from salernitana no one expected that uh, and they got a one nothing win there um and really you know vlahovic and simeone really they just can't stop scoring uh hellas mm-hmm. beat juve and then vlahovic got a hat trick against uh spezia so yeah just uh some of the big takeaways and obviously you know, i'm gonna do a fourth one atalanta lazio was a fantastic match i thought Sadi's tactics even though atalanta looked like they dominated that game from a optics standpoint, the tactics were spot on because Lazio had seemed like they won that game, and it was late where uh, Martin De Ruin with a fantastic goal of the week candidate uh, to tie that game. So yeah, great weekend of, of Calcio, man. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, uh, Atalanta dominating that game, but still needed a uh, 94th minute goal from Deron to get a point. Yeah, uh, you know, out of that game with Lazio. So 
you know, I'll give you my three takes. Top four, hold. You know, we can stop right now. This is exactly the top four that I picked. Uh, one and two are not in the order that I picked. I do yeah. have Milan one, Napoli two. I do have Inter three. I have Roma four. I actually have Atalanta five as well. Mm. You know, if you want to throw that. So top five, you can stay that way. And I'm looking pretty good. Fiorentina in seventh, I picked that. Uh, the only thing that, um, you know, right now, you know, through the first 11 games that I, you know, I've got kind of crisscrossed is uh, uh, Juventus and Lazio. Um, you know, I had Juventus sitting six. I thought Lazio could probably finish finish eighth. We're kind of, you know, through 11 games, things are starting to take some shape. You know, we always talk about this. You know, once we get through about 10 to 12 games, we kind of have a good sense of who we've got and what they are and what their credentials are going to be. And I don't think, you know, there's going to be too much different. I think there's going to be a lot of jostling for – you know, those fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth places, uh, you know, as we go. I think there's going to be some jostling for some teams sneaking into that top half. But right now, the way it looks like, you know, Milan and Napoli are right now just cruising. And at some point, they're going to have their dip and they're going to lose some games. Can an Inter, can a Roma, can they take advantage and close that down? Um, you know, in Atalanta, can Juventus get on this big run? I want to talk a lot about them when we get to their Champions League game. I've got some, I've got some things to say. Um, Roma, it's okay. It's looking better, but we have this stigma with getting wins against the Seven Sisters. They're still a problem. They did get the draw against Napoli. Yeah, Romanisti might have felt they were cheated a little bit here against Milan. Um, but you know, the only thing that's, the results are the same. I think the overall tactical competency is different under Mourinho and better. Eventually at some point, I find Roma to be a, uh, a team that's going to figure out how to win games like this. They're going to have to, if they want to sustain staying in the top four, you know, and not some sort of, uh, title challenge. This is something that we've talked about pretty, uh, extensively, um, I don't Did you know. want to jump in on that before I get to my other points? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. So this, to me, was one of Roma's worst games of the season for me. Um, up until the Teo Hernandez bluff. Right. Stupidity. Yeah. Oh, Milan uh, were dominating Roma, the game. Milan was dominating. They scored yep. two goals already and had two goals taken away. Um, and then, you know, people, like you said, Romanis here are, are clamoring that it was you know, the Pellegrini penalty should, should have happened. Zlatan's was soft. Yes. But also, Krunich penalty probably should have or a foul should have called on Krunich before the El Shadawi goal. Sure. I mean, Maresca was terrible. He was terrible both ways. There's reasons he's suspended because, I mean, 12 yellow cards and he still missed a handful of calls. Yeah. Uh, he was piss poor. And many referees reported this weekend as well. So, but yeah, that's my That's the same guy that game. got uh, that sent off. Uh, uh, he's, been anti he's been anti Milan. Uh, and yes, Cacciatore as well. Uh, so many years ago, that whole incident when Kiev and Juventus played and. Uh, yeah, I remember that he's, he can be kind of a, he can be kind of a clown. There's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, Hellas Verona, 10 points from their last five games, man. They're on a roll. And you mentioned Giovanni Simeone. It looks like this man has found a little bit of a revival, uh, since leaving the Island of Sardinia and joining Hellas Verona. He is the striker that, you know, was coming into the ascendancy in his time, um, at uh, at Genoa and at Fiorentina, it didn't go well at Cagliari, and it looks like he has recaptured some form here at Hellas Verona. And you know what? I I keep saying victory laps. I'm doing victory laps. I'm one of the few. Apparently, Rafa and Lisi corrected me. They they predicted Verona to survive, but I was one of the yeah. few that said Verona's Verona's not getting relegated because let's remember who owns these clubs. 
they get trigger happy. And if they're not happy yeah. with what they see, if they're not happy with the, what they see from the manager, I knew EDF was going to get, I expected EDF to get sacked at some point. I'm surprised it was so soon. Um, but eventually somebody was going to get in there, right the ship, because there's too much talent still over there at Hellas Verona. Yeah. And that talent is showing. And they get a signature 2-1 win, you know, against a Juventus team that is just simply floundering in Serie A. And again, I want to save my Juventus comments until we get to the Champions League portion. Uh, and then finally, Cagliari. My goodness. Uh, how do you have – I mean, this is a team on talent. I firmly believe um, – a team on talent uh, that should be a mid-table team. And uh, this is the biggest display of underachieving. You, you sack Simply see, You think you're going to fix the problem with Walter Mazzotti. That's not working. Uh, and they're sitting at the bottom of the table, even though I could look at uh, – they're, I think on paper, on talent, they're better than Salernitana. On paper, on talent, they're better than Genoa. On paper, on talent, they're better. They're probably better than Venezia. I think they should beat Udinese. You know, so there's at least four teams there. That Empoli. If Empoli's another one. Empoli's another one. There's five teams right there that if they're if Calidy is complete, I'll even throw Bologna into the mix for what they got going forward. Bologna is a freak show defensively, conceding 22 goals in their first 11 games, and I don't think that's going to get any better. There's at least six teams that if they were competently managed and if they were competently organized, those are six teams that they should easily finish ahead of uh, in Serie A. Big big problems there, and if they get relegated, wow, do we have a bargain bin on our hands with some of the top teams in Serie A. You know Maldini's going to sniff around and try. He already the, the rumors were that they already had some intrigue and some interest in Razvan Marin. Um, you know there were some blurbs about that in the summer. Uh, but there is a lot of talent here at this at this Cagliari team, and they're just so poorly managed. Yeah, it's it's shocking, really, what. Uh... Mazzari has not brought to this team and how this team is so underachieved. You know, for many years we talked about how uh, Fiorentina were that team, right? They were, I mean, the last couple of years they've been flirting with relegation. They're so bad. This Cagliari team is, you know, maybe not as, maybe talent wise, not as good as that Fior those Fiorentina clubs were in terms of talent, but are just as much underperforming. And, you know, they're really serious start to get relegated if they don't get stuff fixed out. You know, Mazzari's, you figure has got to be gone before Christmas uh, if he's not done, gone before Thanksgiving. Um, it's just not going well for whatever reason, and um, it's hard to explain. And it'll be very sad to see Cagliari go just because it's always fun to watch those games. They usually play so well at home prior to this year. Uh, but like you said, it's going to be a fire bin, and lots of talent will be going out of there and you know, filling up depth charts for uh, several city clubs. Hopefully, let's go through Cagliari's and then we're gonna, we're gonna move on, but let's just because you know, I want to give this a little bit of time at least. Um, let's go through Cagliari's team right now and, you know, let's just go through their squad and talk about who would you, would you take them on a Serie A team? And let's just start with their forwards. Keita Balde. Yes. Joao Pedro. Oh yeah. Uh, 32 years old, but Leonardo Pavoletti. Yeah. He's serviceable. Yep. Uh, Diego Farias. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, Demir Sater, he's a fringe guy. Probably not. Um, hasn't hasn't gotten enough opportunity. So I agree. That that's at least my take. But I agree with you with those other forwards. Let's go to midfield. Razvan Marin. Oh yeah, yeah. Knights and Nandez. Oh yeah. Marco Rog. Yeah, he's serviceable. Kevin Strootman. I think he's still serviceable, but like as as a depth player. 
Gaston Pereiro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Serviceable. Uh, yeah. You know, squad rotation guy. Right. You know, right. somebody would take him for that. Dalbert. Oh, yeah. Uh, Raul uh, Bellanova, young Italian player under 21. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he looks good. Yep. Uh, Christian Oliva. Yeah, he's serviceable. Uh, this one I'll say no to, Alessandro Diola. I think he's garbage. Yeah, yeah. I think he's, I think he's a big part, part of Calgary's problems. <laughs> um, Alberto Grassi. Um, I, no. Yeah, no. Too inconsistent for yeah. me, at least. Uh, Paolo Fargo. Uh, Fargo, he's serviceable. Yep. Uh, another Italian under 21, Riccardo Ladinetti. Yeah, why not? Probably not. <laughs> Diego Godin, you think you could get one good year out of, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe, but I just, yeah. he's, man, the legs are gone, it feels like. he's Yeah, he'd be a death player. No, just yeah. for his intelligence. Uh, Sebastian Velukovic. Eh. He had okay. flashes, okay. but then he's yeah. been disappointing. Inconsistent. You know? yeah, he's been very consistent. Uh, Martin Casares, old man, old and dusty. I, I couldn't do it. No, I don't like him anyway. Charlampos <laughs> okay. uh, Likogianis, I like him. Yes, yes. Gabriel Zappa, I like him. Yeah. Um, Andrea Carboni is decent. He's yep. only twenty. He's still got a future. Uh, Luca Cepatelli, no. Um, cool. Giorgio Altari, twenty-three years old, doesn't get a lot of playing time. Okay. Uh, Alessio Cano. Oh yeah, definitely. yeah. Uh, his backup Boris Radunovic. Uh, I know he was an inter for a while, I think, but uh, nah, he was, I guess somebody could use him. I guess Milan yeah, died. <laughs> maybe yeah, as a backup, as a yeah, as a, as a rotation guy, third player. Simone Aresti probably not. Thirty-five years old. So I mean, that's a lot of. Pl- I mean, we probably think seventy-five percent of that squad. And there'll be bargains. There'll be bargains. Belong in Serie A and actually play play can play yeah. well in Serie A. It's yeah. just so poorly managed and so disappointing. So yes, um, shameful. We've spent a ton of time on Calady. I guess because you know George is a loyal listener to the show, and we wanted to. I know that he had been uh, reaching out via Twitter trying yeah. to ask. So. Yeah. I wanted to make sure I made some time for. I wanted to try to make some time for the teams that we're not going to talk about here in Europe. But I mean, Calgary's the real, real ugly. But Hellas Verona is what's good about some of these teams oh, that are not yeah. in Europe and the and the job that they're and the job that's being done over there. Oh my goodness! Um, so you know, I mean, and Fiorentina goes without saying. So yeah. uh, you know, no problem whatsoever. So those were our. Uh, three quick takes on what we saw with match week 11. I think, uh, a, well, before you do that, do you have a top five goals? I don't. <laughs> I don't, well, I'll, I'll I don't, give you, do. I'll give you my rundown. Yeah, I do. I do. So, um, my honorable mentions were Belotti got his hundredth goal. So that's an honorable mention for me. McKinney, mm-hmm. uh, and Correa both had similar goals. I thought they're really nicely taken. And Zerkowski, Zerkowski, excuse me. I had a nice goal for Empoli for the game winner. My top five, uh, walking Correa's first goal. Number four, uh, Simi- almost said Diego. Uh, Simeone is a uh, second goal. Uh, number three, two team goals. Lazio's team goal, which Immobile scored, and then um, Fiorentina's team goal, that Vlahovic scored. Uh, number two, Duron in the uh, the leveler late, late game, late goal. And then my play of the week, not goal of the week, play of the week, is Montipo, his save on Debal on the 89th minute. Uh, yes. Secure that win for Hellas. I mean, that was, was going to be a goal. And he just he reached out, stopped it. That was a beautiful save. Yes. Yeah, I caught that. I did catch that. So yeah. you don't have the Ibrahimovic uh, free kick in there, do you? I do not. I liked it. I did like it. It's honorable mention, I guess. I okay. Failed to mention I that. Yeah. thought it was a smartly taken free kick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was great. So, um, but yeah, that's, uh, you know, that, that that's a good top five. I, I, yeah. I will not uh, not go against you on any of that. So um, 
Shall we move on? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this will be the portion of the uh, in the podcast when you're listening to it that we're going to have our interview with Wayne Gerard from Roma English, uh, where we do a nice Roma deep dive with one of the one of the seven sisters we haven't had a chance to really do a deep dive on yet. So we invited uh, Wayne Gerard on, and we spent a good you know 25 minutes talking about Roma, 25 30 minutes. So uh, the video clip is available on YouTube if you want, but on the podcast, this is where you will be listening to that portion of the interview. Ciao ragazzi, welcome. This is a uh, special edition. You know, on the City I Sit Down, we like to do deep dives of as many teams as we can. As one team we particularly haven't done so far. It's one of the seven sisters. Of course, you see the shirts. We're talking about AS Roma. I'm not going to do this alone. We got a very special guest to uh, help us do this. Uh, please welcome to the show, Wayne Gerard. Wayne, you are an Italian writer of all sorts of areas. Uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm excited. I love what you're doing on the channel, and it's really cool. And I messaged you, uh, I guess, about a week or two, and I was like, when's the Roma one? And you're like, oh, well, you're in it. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> let's do this. Thank you're it. That's right. Now, I'm glad to have you on. And uh, before we get started, uh, let the listeners, for those who don't know who you are, just tell them who you quickly, who you write for, and uh, where people can find you real quick. Sure. I'm in my seventh season working uh, for Roma, doing some social media for them do the now it's Roma fan cam instant analysis when we win and uh, some pieces here and there that I've written um, a few every year, like long form articles. And it started off as a small job, you know, with uh, like, I would, I would analyze three players from the opposite team to watch. And then that grew into more interviewing fans, which helped me realize kind of what I really like to do as well, which was uh, not just to write or to, to film, but also just to kind of be like a connection between the team and the fans. And that's something Roma has afforded me. I did my thesis for my master's in history on the politics or socio-political fandom of AS Roma, historical journey and how they, the, the different divisions and political nice. affiliations that they have. So I've, uh, I've, I've spent a lot of my life in a professional adult life trying to put all these pieces together. And it's not just, uh, you, you can't just be a writer anymore. If, if you, I think if you really want a career, you have to be able to fit and wear many different hats, right? Be and you have to be right. In all of them too. So, um, and I'm still, I'm doing some stuff for uh, Italian football TV as well for a few, um, a few months now in an official capacity, which has been great. And you may have seen like maybe some of my stuff perhaps for Gentleman Ultra. Yep. Uh, the Rossi, a Pirlo article, Fabrizio Mecoli, a bunch of just, you know, the, the stories that drive me and the ones that are, not always so out in the open for the English speaking audience to try and put those out there and bring those to life and give them some existence for the rest of the you know, non-Italian speaking Calcio fans. Yeah, I think, and I think that's so important, right? For, for those of us who love the game so much to really uh, bring out the stuff that we love to others that may not know exactly what it is, especially for us English speaking fans, we may not know all the history and know the, the Mikulis of the world. So bringing that out, we love that you do that and love anybody who does that. We want to make sure we, uh, share those creators to the world so people understand who they are and learn more about the game. So thank you for doing that, and thank you for joining us today. Um, yeah, excited to talk some Roma. I'm wearing my Roma Club DC shirt. Uh, big fans of those guys uh, down in DC, and they gave me this shirt when, when I went there to watch a, a game, Roma-Milan, which we'll get to here in a moment. Uh, before we get to the deep dive of Roma, uh, let's talk about this past weekend, Roma-Napoli. A big game, right? Obviously, top of the table, Napoli against Roma, who's who's really trying to make a push this year, new manager. Um, it was always going to be a tight affair. 
what was your assessment of the game? Because 0-0, not what people expected from score-wise, score but it had a lot, of, a lot of action in this game. Yeah, I was content, but I wasn't satisfied. I was happy that we have a big, a really nice platform now. There's been this question throughout the first few months with Mourinho as to, do we need an extra center midfielder? And that question still definitely remains as far as the depth. However, we did see Veratu and Cristante perform an excellent, one of their top matches, perhaps their best together ever. And behind them, you can say just as well the same words for um, Mancini and Ibanez, who I thought were fantastic back there. So, you know, seeing them get back to, not get back, but actually form something special here is really fortunate because I think that if it didn't start to, we didn't start to see that type of substance, then come in January, we could have had a little bit of a merry-go-round. I'm not sure what could have happened. So we get that platform at this point. Vina is fitting in very nicely. He's growing, I think, in each match I've liked from him. Yeah. Barstorp has been really solid. Yeah, he actually had a very good match and one of the, I thought, a game-winning save. where He dropped a dime to uh, Pellegrini late in the game, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's balanced, right? And I think that's exactly what you want from a modern-day outside back. And then, of course, you go into the attack, right? And I think they're just going to need a little bit more time, some more chemistry, perhaps an extra player. If we start to think about what does Roma actually need, I think perhaps somebody who's like a, a true fluent left winger would do a lot of wonders for this team. Somebody perhaps like 23, 24 years old who's got a lot of legs in them. Because one thing that I felt was that our striker just wasn't getting enough support. So with that, you know, you kind of have to take a little bit from here in order to get there. So defensively, we're very good, right? However, if we had moved up and started to support Tammy a little bit more, would we have been found out a little bit more? Would we have encountered yeah. or given up a little bit more space uh, in between the lines? So I'm not convinced yet. They don't, unfortunately, you know, I'm not the coach and I'm, I'm confident with Mourinho that he can figure that out. Right. right. So I think that at the end of the day, Roma Napoli for me gave a great platform where I can say, now I see what we need to work on for the rest of the season. And I'm confident with many of the players that we have in the starting lineup. And we can start to pinpoint the smaller issues, which can ultimately lead us to big success. And this is a big game because not only Derby del Sud, but it's you just came off a horrendous game in Europe where you needed to have a bounce back game. And I think the 0-0 game was, was good because had you come back in this game and got blasted by Napoli, questions, big yeah. questions have been asked. But you guys held your own against a very attack-minded Napoli uh, and so, you know, kudos for Mourinho for really regalvanizing the team to get them ready for the game. Um, you know, you mentioned you know, some of the pieces you guys may be missing. Tommy Abraham did have the best shot of the game for any either team really had that one opportunity where uh, Rahmani got him. You can call that a penalty. Some will call penalty, some will not. But he had the greatest opportunity in the game. Um, personally, I've, I've been a fan of this Roma team, this Roma midfield for the last two years. Uh, I think they play very well together, play very possession-type game, very good on the counterattack. Obviously, you play a team like Napoli, it's always going to be hard to get possession. Um, but you mentioned the defense is pretty strong. Where are the weak – you obviously mentioned the left winger, some area concern. Um, do you see, like, maybe a, a second striker as a need? Do you like the formation Mourinho's using? Would you like more depth in the midfield? How do you feel about the midfield? Because I'm a big fan of the midfield, even though I'm not a Roma supporter. I like it. A, a player that we keep seeing is Zakaria. And if he was to come in this ball-winning, big, strong midfielder, it gives us another dimension. He's very good, by the way. I love him. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't say I've seen him live. I don't watch too much German League. If, if it's on, and in passing, you know, I'll put it on for a few minutes. 
but I'm glad to hear that you do uh, rate him. And when I've seen him in YouTube clips and the highlights, you know, eight, nine minute um, strings of his performances, I said, yeah, that's a player that I could definitely use for the remainder of the season. And one that just screams Jose Mourinho. Now, if I'm going to pinpoint like one, I, if you had asked me this question three, two, three weeks ago, I would have probably said a rotational center back, perhaps one that's like on top of his game okay. and covered for Karsdorp. Now I actually am starting to feel a little bit differently. Oh, and, okay. and a center midfielder. So, so you can say those three. Right. I still feel that the center midfielder, but to me, as well as the cover for Karsdorp, the most urgent coverage, and not only coverage, but like a set, like a real dynamite player, would have to be on the left wing. And I'm thinking of Jeremy Boga because I know his contract's about to expire. Yeah, he's a he's a saucy little left winger there. He creates yeah. lots of problems for defense. Yeah. Like yeah. So I would like to see him make the jump. There's uh in Serie A, actually, there's there are some good left wings, but I actually see more depth in the right wing position when you look on like the middle and lower half of the of the table. And I'm not scared of promoting a player and buying a yeah. player and saying, like, you know, I rate you and I think you have what it takes to go to the next level. So it doesn't always have to be a lateral move, like say, like grabbing um, a winger, like let's say from a mid-table Premier League team or right. one that's really good in France, right? It right. could be somebody from within Serie A, in my opinion, who just needs a needs a chance and shows that they have the raw skill. And I think Boga is one of those players. Yeah. Oh, no, I agree 100% about that. Uh, we've read, read Jeremy Boga for a while now. He brings a lot to that Sassuolo attack, and I think he could, wherever he goes, I'm happy that Sassuolo signed him because he stays in the league. And so if he were to move within the league, I think it's just a bonus for the league to keep him in there. So I like that. I like that shout a lot. Um, so a player who is obviously very dynamic, probably the, undoubtedly the star of your team, Zagnolo. Uh, he's had some injury problems in his career thus far. It's well noted. Um, a couple weeks ago, he picked up an injury and the whole culture community gasped because we were wondering, please don't be this a serious injury. And I'm happy to, that we saw him against Napoli. Um, what, were, what were your thoughts immediately in that last game, game before that he went down on the injury? Did you did you know that it was a serious injury or not? What, what were your thoughts when you, when you saw yeah, the injury? Yeah, man. I was, uh, Rich, I was nervous when, when he did go down. And... He hasn't had like the assists and the goals yet, but he's so important to this team. I see him as one of the very few players in the squad who can unlock a player 1v1, take them on. He can slow the game to the point where he draws defenders and opens up the rest of the field. And that's a, that's a quality that I love. And he's not the typical right winger because he attracts that attention and he is uh, he's muscular. He's got actually getting kind of big. So he's he's very interesting out there. And I think that he's definitely going to be putting up those numbers in the second half of the season, if not in the coming weeks, because I see it. However, just to answer that, yeah, I was very nervous. However, with the muscle and the size that he's been putting on, I'm less afraid because I can see that he is committed to getting better. Yeah. And with the, with the proper physical therapy that he's been putting in, I'm, I'm hopeful that he will remain healthy. Yeah, I think we all do. I mean, even, even if you're just a Calcio supporter in general, I think Zaniolo is so important for the league and for the Azzurri, and it's important to see that he continues to progress better because, uh, I mean, the kid has amazing talents. And, you know, if your your dream comes true and you get Jeremy Boga, I can't imagine Jeremy Boga and Zaniolo coming out the defense. That oh, is just man. nightmares for the league. Uh, so that's very mouthwatering. So speaking of mouthwatering, obviously the game against Napoli was a difficult game. Drew 0-0. Um, another big game come this weekend against my Milan. Uh, it's it's another big game, another top of table clash because Milan is uh, currently in first place as of right now. 
Obviously, Napoli hasn't played yet uh, as, as of this recording. But Roma, you're trying to get, in, you're get to, into the, the picture of the not only Champions League, but possibly even Scudetto. You know, many, many Romanisti are, are thinking there's a chance of that. Um, how do you see this game against Milan shaping up? Because they're not, Milan is not playing a top form. They're being very resourceful right now. Do you think there's an area for them that you guys can really beat them and, and take advantage of? I see Milan and Inter as the teams who play this. Both are playing equally the best football in Italy right now. I like Milan, and I do enjoy watching them, particularly because their defense is so strong. And I don't think you can take anything away from that with that. And they're also, what's the word, multi-dynamic, very highly dynamic. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the stats, right? Sancho Tonali is a player who I believed in. And I'm, for him, because I'm not a Milan fan, right? I'm not, not going to say I'm happy for Milan, but I'm happy for Tonali to kind of show up and become a really good player. And he's proving that so far. He's still only 21 years old. And I, I look through the goals, though, and I see a Milan who can hit you in a lot of different ways. Because even Ben Esther, he just scored a ridiculous goal. Uh, you know, Rebic has a goal. Zlatan is back with already had two, you know, so quickly. Uh, Kessie, he's been having his problems, but he's been even when he plays, though. Leal's having a breakout year, so. Leal's four goals and an assist, ridiculous. And he, he looks so dynamite, this guy. Like, I don't, I don't want to play against him. Yeah. Him on the left wing, like, very hard to play against. Brahim Diaz, he's showing up as a number 10 now. And um, who else has got a few goals here? Davide Calabria. <laughs> and then you got Teo yeah. Hernandez. This is a good team. And Yoli has had them for, I believe, three years now. So they, they're they not like, oh, it's year zero. No, this is Milan with uh, some time under their belt and yeah. some integrity to their play. So I, I'm definitely wary of this Milan for sure. And I think that if they can figure it out long term, and keep grinding out these results that it's going to be them and Inter at the end of the season, I believe. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I, I would even throw Napoli in that mix as well. Um, where do you see the weakness at the moment uh, with Milan that you think Roma can really exploit? Is it probably the counterattacks, I think? Because I, I, I think, you know, at times, you know, minus Tomori, Milan's defense is fairly slow back there. Uh, Teo at times can be missing his head. And if Calabria pushes up, there's a gaping hole back there. And obviously... Kiar and Romagnoli, they're 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 good, but they don't have the pace that you know. Maybe if you have a Zaniolo on the attack or Mikatarian, who's very very quick, or Tammy Abraham as well. So, do you think that's a counterattack you're going to be able to get Milan? Because you're obviously going to have to play compact. You know, knowing Mourinho, it's going to be a very similar tactic to Napoli. Uh, yes, the counterattack's got to be the way to beat Milan, isn't it? Yes, for sure. And if Teo starts taking up that space, he's going to be going against a different type of opponent. Zaniolo versus Hernandez is going to be an interesting matchup. And I have flashbacks of Chiesa versus Teo, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's not going to be able to bite as much space as he would like. And against uh, Kier, that would be interesting, I think. Tammy, is do you, is Tamori predicted to get the start? He's going to be healthy? Well, he's healthy. He started tonight uh, with Romagnoli. And then he, um, so I'm not sure. It's, I would imagine Tamori's going to start, but uh, yeah. it'll probably be Tamori and Kier. But you never know. You never know with Pioli. So short rest. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I definitely think it's going to be on the counter. I would like to see who's going to be starting at left wing for Roma. I have a feeling it's going to be Alshadoui, but uh, it could be Mkhitaryan just based on confidence within the yeah. player. I think Mourinho likes to have Alshadoui more as a super sub. So it's. I think this is going to be a heck of a game, actually. This is going to be one of the games of the season. 
I, I agree. I think, you know, I, I know Milan had a tough game against Torino today. Uh, Torino is going to play that kind of grind it out kind of game. And, you know, Mourinho is going to love that kind of style, especially against an opponent who likes to have possession. So it's going to be a tough, tough game. I mean, goals are going to be hard to come by. You know, I, I see both teams scoring, honestly. I think yeah. uh, Roma has a talent offensive. And I think Milan are, are good enough that they can score a goal themselves. I don't, it's it's going to be a good game. I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a mouthwatering yeah. affair. Um, it would be hard to call this one. Anyway, it is. It's like, going to be that, you know, nah, this is going to be <laughs> an interesting match. It is. It is. And you could, I mean, arguably either team could blow off the other one too. I mean, that's how good the squads are. Um, let's get deep dive into, into Roman now while we got a few minutes left. Um, coming into this season, obviously the, the acquisition of Mourinho was huge. Add to that Tammy Abraham. You got Eldor as well. Some of the pieces started coming coming to fold. Obviously, Zaniola getting healthy. Um Going into this season with all these pieces coming in, did you fancy Roma with a, a a strong Scudetto opportunity this year? I did. I felt that they were a dark horse. And that now I see that there are a couple holes, but I think that those can be repaired with a, with a few shrewd fixes. And I believe in Tiago Pinto, our sporting director, that him together with Mourinho that they could start start that they could perhaps become one of the best playing teams now of course injuries and all those things happen throughout the season which makes it difficult to compete on two or three different fronts so i saw them mixing it up with the top teams and we saw that against napoli right because they were they were the better team if i'm going to be a non bias even though of course you look at my back my wall and you'll see him, <laughs> and it's not just the shirt. However, I thought that they outplayed up until then the best team in Serie A, yeah. and you know going into it, I, I that's that was kind of like my goal is can yeah. they do it? And now the trick is can we keep it going? And I think that's a, that's that's the hardest part. So yeah. I'm glad with that performance, and like Mourinho said at first, we've got to keep it going match by match and not get ahead of ourselves and start to be put ourselves or make us out to be something we're not. Just got to put in the hard work, and there's no excuse for that. Yeah, and I think you're not alone. Many people were touting as Roma as one of the favorites, obviously, with Mourinho and his pedigree in Serie A and in the world, really. Um, I know on Serie A sit-down, some people didn't like the, our responses because we both thought, you know, uh, we think – highly of Mourinho and Sadi too at Lazio. We didn't we thought that those two they would change up so much in their teams the, that they would make their team better. We knew Mourinho was going to shut down the defense, make the defense much better than it was previously. And that's happened already. Yeah. Um but we knew that there's were there's so many questions of Mourinho. We weren't ready to quite tout them as the next Scudetto contender, but we thought they were going to be in the mix. This team, this league is the most deepest we've seen in a while. I think seven, eight teams can arguably fight for that Champions League spot. And it's going to be tight all year long. So yeah. just because you don't pick someone like Roma as a Scudetto favorite doesn't mean they're not going to be in the mix. I mean, anyone yeah. goes on a run, we've seen, they can get hot and, you know, anything can happen. So, um, yeah, if they had been hot right now, I think people would be putting them right up there. They would be in the conversation. Exactly. If, they had, if they had three, six more points and, you know, a few, few of those games which uh, could have gone their way, 
unfortunately didn't, but those are the growing pains, right? Yeah. And yeah. Now we can start to hopefully get past those growing pains. Luckily for you guys, uh, your uh, counterparts across the city are also having growing pains. So that's always, that's always nice to see when they, they fall too, right? Stinking like <laughs> old fish. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so the season away it's gone so far. Um, ups and downs, obviously, right? Um, you said you've seen a lot of good so far. You've seen some gaping holes already. Um, where I mean, you obviously mentioned left winger, some pieces that you think can come in there. Do you think we've seen in some locations with Mourinho's been brilliant in his career, but there's some locations and mostly recently where he's he's kind of lost the locker room. You don't feel that's happening now, but is that ever a fear of you as the season goes on that maybe players get tired of him or something like that, or maybe they don't under if they start getting I many results? The ones who aren't under him and aren't willing to put in the hard work. And they're just using Roma as a stopgap or something mm. in their career that they're going to fade out. But that's kind of what I want. Like, if right. you're not fully committed and you're not willing to get behind the coach, then this isn't for you because that is one of the definitions of a project is everyone comes together to try to make something difficult happen. Right. Mm. So, at one point, there's got to be a time where you say, there is no more time and your time is up because we're going to get people who believe in this for better or worse. And, that's the philosophy that I'm that I go along with from our, you know, no, hundred, hundred percent. Now I got your handle there. So people can see your handle. Um, rest of the season. How do you see the rest of the season panning out here? Um, do you see yourself in the, in the champions league spots and the Europe league spots? I, I, I fully believe, and this is just me. What, from what I've seen in Mourinho, he's going to go for that trophy in the, uh, what's it called? The confederation champions cup or whatever it's called. The, uh, European Yeah, we'll we'll make a push there and yeah. I think that they'll secure fourth. They'll, I think they'll start to push the other teams off their shoulders for mm. fourth and yeah. start to lock that down. And I think that's the goal. That's gotta be it's gotta be the goal at this point. And if if along the way we start taking some points off the big boys, then just as well. Yeah, the battles against the seven sisters, as we like to call them. I might be eight sisters at this point. It's, it's going to be key. And another one coming up this weekend with Milan. So, uh, yeah, I'd be very curious to see how, how Roma uh, comes out this season. Like I said, I've been a big fan of their of their midfield. I just love the way they move the ball. And Vera, too, back there pulling the strings. The Mkhitaryan. I mean, those guys are just brilliant. Um, before we wrap this one up, uh, you're a Roma fan. Um, who are some of your favorite players in history? Obviously, Totti's name is going to be up there. Um, what are your favorite moments for Roma and who are your favorite players through history? In history, it is Montella, who was somebody I really looked up to as a number nine. Nice. Yeah, loved him. Um, Damiano Tomasi, Perota, these are guys I really enjoyed playing and that were kind of role models for me as I was a young teen. Nice. Um, Giannini, if I go back into the 80s, I loved him as a number 10. Just the way that he was on the ball was, uh, he was magic. He was royalty, yeah. the prince. Yeah. Uh, principe. And... And as time went on, uh, of course, there's Francesco. But from thinking more of like that Spalletti era, mm, yeah. now how I how I play and how I try to model myself is I think of Pizarro actually, who was super underrated. For oh yeah, contributed you know to Spalletti's time in Rome. He was great. Peck yeah. was a phenomenal regista, defensive midfielder. Uh, man, you could learn so much from watching his play about simplicity and vision. Oh, was it, wasn't he great? Oh, my goodness. If I think a little bit outside of Roma, um, hmm, 
trying to think like Fiorentina or or uh, other teams like that at Parma. I really looked up to Gilardino. And but as I grew up, I started falling less for strikers and more for playmakers. And Ronaldinho was just not, oh. not someone that I, you know, wanted to emulate or looked up to, but someone who I was just in awe of. Jaw dropping. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And for real. And then on the other side of the spectrum, who's getting himself in some hot water today, Antonio Cassano. <laughs> like, yeah. He was magic. Uh, oh. He was really something else. One of the, he, he could have been a world beater. And yeah. He's just so like divinely talented. Wasted talent almost, you know, just because his yeah. head wasn't always in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we had he has a nickname we won't repeat in here, but it's for a good reason, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, great. Uh love talking about Roma. Which we could probably talk a lot more, more about Roma, but uh our time is pressing, and I know yours is yours is special, and so I want to be uh courteous to that. Uh please tell our followers where they can follow you on social media and plug anything you would like to plug. Yes, thanks so much. I'm, uh, when Wayne Realms is on Twitter. I'm still waiting to get my real handle back because I got flagged for filming at uh, Roma Club New York. Oh. I'm like, I'm like, you know, Roma Club DC, another great club. But yes, that's like temporarily suspended. So hopefully I'm going to get Wayne and Rome back one day. But that is still my Instagram as well as my website, WayneandRome.com. And uh, I'm always putting stuff out. So just just give me a follow and it'll be great. Trust me, I, I, I promise I won't disappoint. I try to just make interesting stuff, whether if it's uh, memes of dogs or <laughs> what I'm making for dinner. You can always hit me up if you want some recipes for that too. So I <laughs> echo those sentiments. I believe, yeah, everyone should follow Wayne here. Make sure you don't. If you don't already, you, you need to. Uh, and so make sure we share the handles. And, and anything you anything you show up, we'll, we'll retweet as best we can, uh, as often as we can too. So uh, thank you again for your time here. This is here with Wayne Gerard. Talking Roma, finally talking AS Roma, a deep dive. And uh, yeah, we'll try to get you on later on in the season, talk some more Roma. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, can't wait to uh, deep dive more into the Gilla Rossi later on. So thank you again for your time tonight. Thanks so much, Rich. Awesome. And now we uh, move on to uh, what we wanted to really talk about for this edition of Serie A Sit Down. Give a little attention to the Serie A teams, how they're doing in Europe. And uh, we had some Champions League games uh, just com- – the, cha- the round of Champions League games just completed, Richard. Let's start with what went down on Tuesday. Um, and I've got to pull up the game. Uh, let's start with what went down in Bergamo, Richard. Uh, Atalanta and Manchester United. Cristiano Ronaldo returning to Italy uh to uh to play Ladea. Uh Gasparini starts with Musso in goal. He plays a back three. Darun deputizes back there with Demiral and Palomino. Zapacosta and Mela on the wing back positions. Kupmeyers and Freuler in that central midfield. Pasolich position in front of him with a com- combination of Ilicic and Zapata in attack. Thoughts on what Gasparini trotted out for this one against Man United? A good strong lineup, I thought. Uh, it's good to see Zapata and um, Muriel out there. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's a, I mean, it doesn't matter really who who they put out there because they doesn't matter. They all produce. It does, it, Gasparini just has the right touch, and the players play up uh, whenever they whenever they get called upon. So yeah, it's it's it's, it's a good lineup no matter who they have because they're so deep, and it doesn't matter. They're all good. So I was fine with the lineup. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I I had no. I had no real issues with it. I think Zapata has been in really good form. I think you had to start him. Um, you know, Ilicic has got the experience for these kind of games. He's coming you on know, too. Yep. 
he's and, and more so than a Miranchuk, more so than a Melanovsky. I'll tell you what, I uh, I think they've got a gem with this uh, tune uh, Myers, uh in midfield. Yeah. Uh, and and if there was an area, and we talked about Atalanta a little bit earlier in the season, we said that the, the thing that concerned us was. You know, what do they do when you don't have one of Durun or Freuler or, or you don't have both? You know, and lo and behold, this is what Atalanta do. They go out and they buy smart and they bring in a guy that characteristically has some qualities, you yeah. know, for that midfield for that midfield role. But he also has a little bit of creativity, too. I mean, and Gasparini's trusting him on corner kicks. He's trusting yeah. him in certain set piece situations. And here we go again, Atalanta going out and buying smart and getting a guy that they can plug in and fit right into what they're doing. Atalanta doing Atalanta things, right? Sure. Um, um, yeah, no, we, we talked about this guy before. So look after this guy. He's going to become a gem, uh, a, a great player this season. And he's living up to it. And like you said, like he's so versatile. At first, we thought he was just going to be an attacking midfielder. But now he's, you know, he's sliding in a little bit deeper in there, uh, becoming a real nice playmaker, too. I mean, this guy is versatile. He can do he can do it all. And it's really becoming a a nice compliment for the rest of the players out there i mean he can do so much like you said he's getting trusted in these corner pieces corner set pieces and and um he can do great passes he's got a good shot on him he's got nice vision this is a nice find by uh by atalanta so yeah yep. they did it again yep indeed well in, in with in atalanta got out to a hot start at old trafford they would get it out out to a hot start here in the 12th minute it opens up josep ilicic uh from duvan zapata one nil Atalanta, a great goal and a great way to start. And I, you know, really the way the game started, Atalanta deserved to be ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And and say what you will about the last game, Atalanta probably should have won that game as well too, right? Um, a little brain fart by them, but yeah, a great start by them. You know, you saw a goal coming; they were just pressing and pressing. And that's what you want to see from Atalanta, and they've been doing this in Europe. And yeah, to get Ilicic to get that nice goal there uh, set up by Zapata. Uh, well done, well deserved, and they should have been in the lead because they, they, they were outplaying Man United. Yep. Um, 38th minute, a very significant moment in the game. Rafael Varane, the experienced defender that Manchester United brought over from Real Madrid, has to leave the game with an injury. Uh, rather than going like for like with a defender, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer brings on Mason Greenwood and changes the shape, goes to a back four, you know, a bit of a fourth, four, two, three, one setup. Um, where Mason Greenwood has a, you know, has a role further up, uh, changes the shape. And at, at that point, I felt the game changed, uh, you know, in Manchester United's favor. I thought up until that injury, it was all Atalanta and we're like more than happy to see Man United keep playing with this three-man defense that they don't often do. Um, but then Solskjaer changes the shape. Greenwood comes in. And that has a significant impact, you know, for, you know, the shape. But we'll also talk about the, you know, the equalizing goal, you know, at the end of the game, which Greenwood had a dubious role in. But uh, just before halftime, Manchester United, with one of the best team goals that we've seen in the Champions League this season, um, Ronaldo finishing it off after a very clever, uh, you know, layback by Bruno Fernandes. Um speaks to the quality of what Man United can do going forward when they can link up and they can put it together. Uh, and I give a lot of credit, but I also say, I also look at this and I say, 
this is an Atalanta defense that's patchwork, that Gasparini's trying multiple things, and as a result of trying multiple things and not having any consistency, he's conceding goals, whether they're of quality like this or whether they're they're leakers or second balls or things like that. So the the defensive frailties of Atalanta here early on in the season come back to haunt him just before halftime. Yeah, what, what's the term that the English always say? Sixes and sevens back there. Yep. Uh, they're very they're very poor. Both goals defensively, they were very bad. Uh, and also also the first time, first leg they played Manchester United, the same thing. Uh, again, for stretches of game, they look so good, and then they have these brain farts where it's they're deadly. Every time they have these brain farts, the other team always seems to score. Uh, and so it comes at the wrong time. This comes just before halftime, and uh, uh, obviously a well-taken goal, well done by Manchester United, but it could have been prevented, and it wasn't just because it was very sloppy back there. And time and time again with Atalanta, specifically this season, excuse me. Uh, but, uh, yeah. I think, okay, so 1-1. One, one, um, is that a Junior Messias shirt from Uncle Sharma? No, it's Diego Falcinelli. Diego Falcinelli, yeah, that's your old Falcinelli jersey. That's anyway. right, that's right. All right, so it's 1-1 where, you know, Atalanta, I think when the tactical changes made by Man United were treading water and would have been happy to get out of their one goal to nil. 40, beginning of the second half, this substitution was happening whether they were 1-0 up or 1-1. Uh, Jim City comes on for Pasolic, which allows Deron to go back into his normal midfield role. They have three natural defenders playing in that back three. Um, you know, a little bit better shape and organization. Mario Pasolic, to me, was the right guy to take off. He just he's the guy that kind of got lost uh you know in the Atalanta setup in the first half against Manchester United both in attack and both in defense uh, both in attack and in defense uh so for me that's a sensible substitution when you're dealing with what um Man United's throwing at you yeah and and you know it's nice to have you know, the room move up and, and, and Jim City in there because there are some pieces in there that at time are very serviceable and very good. But like I said, when he's in there, he can, he he brings a lot to the team, both on the defensive end and the offensive side, uh, Jim City does. And so he's he's, he's really good in the air, you know, for a guy his size you expect him to be, right? And and, and he likes yep. to get down dirty. He's one of those defenders that likes to be physical. He loves the physical game. When it comes down to like pace and stuff like that, he's not that great. But uh, when it comes to you know playing other big boys, uh, he loves that kind of that that kind of environment. He loves uh, the, the the contact. So um, yeah. good assertion, good assertion to have him in the game and, and put into Rune in a, a position that will make him uh, a better player or, or better for the team, I should say. Sure. Um, the shape was helpful. Uh, you know, although in the second half it was Man United more on the ball and it was Atalanta looking to have less of the ball, try to see if they could take advantage. Palomino finds Zapata. Um, and a, a great goal by Zapata here initially was actually was actually being looked at to see was it not, I believe it was offside. They thought yeah. offside, yeah. They thought offside, but they went back and took a look at it, and it was not. It was a it was a perfectly good goal. Uh, Duvan Zapata, provider on the first one, score on the second one, and for me was Atalanta's best player in this game. Yeah, yeah, and you know, had this been someone like uh, Didier Drogba, you'd say world class goal. This is a world class goal in my opinion. Yep. If he didn't score, I think I I know this would have been a penalty. He was going down, but his composure while falling down to square the ball, then boom, getting past the goalkeeper. I mean, brilliantly done by Zapata. He is just in, in a fantastic form at the moment, and and he's so composed in any given situation. And what a classy way to finish that thing. Yep, absolutely. Um, 
Anthony's saying the start that Atalanta got off to showed that they deserved to get a result. Well, that, there's no doubt about that. Um, I think that, like I said, when the Veron injury happened and Ole decided to go back to his back four, Manchester United started looking more dangerous. And then I liked the Gasparini sub at the beginning of the second half. It wasn't more so to, you know, to exploit, okay, some of the spaces that now United were going to leave, which they were going to do that on the counter. It was to add another defender to absorb, uh, you know, Fernandez, Rashford, Greenwood, Ronaldo coming at you with Pogba running behind them and, you know, some of the stuff that you can maybe get from Shaw and Juan Bissaka coming forward as fullbacks. So um, it was, you know, a player that could come in that could continue to absorb some of that. And then, you know, you can try to take your chances with what they were doing going forward. Because if you look at it statistically in the second half, Manchester United, 62% possession in the second half to Atalanta's 38. They definitely had more of the ball, especially after Atalanta took that lead. Um, as the game went on, it was like, I, can we figure out how to get out of here with this win and go top of the group heading into match day five? Uh, is that the, is that kind of what you sensed from watching this? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it also surprised me. I don't know if it surprised me, but anytime Atalanta were in possession of the ball, they just looked so good with the ball. They looked like yep. they were, I mean, an elite team when they have the ball. It just the, the way they move around and pass and find each other and they read each other so well. Um, it's really wonderful to see. There's very few teams that look this good when they have possession. But it was, like you said, they, they started dropping back, especially when they got the lead. And at that point, you're trying to get out there with a win, uh, especially at home after you know after the debacle from the from the first time they played each other. So, yeah, uh, I'm not too surprised that they kind of did that. Um, I don't know does if they're that, set up does to it, do that. But does it disappoint you that they do that? Because you don't yes. see them. They're you not hardly set up ever see them do that in Serie A. And they did it. In the semi, they did it in the quarterfinals of the Champions League against PSG. They you know, they said, "All right, we've got the goal." You know, Gasparini. Yeah. This is the you know gets into moments when he plays these teams that yeah by you know the name brands and the quality yeah they're they're very the good attackers. Season. But can they do anything when you have the ball? You know that's that that's exactly. the question. And exactly. if your strength is with the ball, if your strength is being able to get the ball and take it at people, you know then. Stay true. I, I just wish yes. Atalanta could, in moments like this, stay true to what they were because I wonder if that would have produced a different result or have they gotten to a point that they're conceding so many goals that Gasparini just simply said, look, I can't trust what we're leaving back there when we go forward because yeah. they're going to get pulled apart and we're we're conceding goals doing it that way in our own league. And now we're playing in a tech foursome that, is as good as anybody that we see domestically, you know, <laughs> as good as what we see, you know, and, and as good as what we see in our own training ground, yeah. um, that there's a little too much respect. I mean, he's, yes, it's, it's definitely that he, I think he's, he, he certainly thinks that, but they're not set up defensively to, to shut it down. They're not inter right. Inter could do that very well. They got fantastic center backs. They got a whole complement of players that can play that style. Um, Atalanta do not. They don't have the center backs. And yes, they have some gamey players in the middle that can really make it. You know, Froiler, Darun, add some others in there. Uh, but they're defensively, they, they're not set up there. They, they, they don't know how to run the, the tactics that way. So what's their best way to do it is attack. Like you said, we've seen this against some teams. I think it was Ajax they did it too and some other teams, Manchester City. The best way to do it to keep others from getting the ball and scoring on you is you keep it and you keep attacking them. You make them tired by defending. That way... When it gets to the end of the game, you have more of that, more of the energy, and the opposition is just run themselves ragged, and they really have nothing left in the tank. Sure. That's what they should have done. That's what we all believe. That's what we've seen in Serie A, 
and Gasparini tries to overthink these things. Even against PSG, could have done the same thing. Um, granted, they have wonderful world-class players that can hit you on the counter, but their best bet would have been to continue in attacking as opposed to playing defensively. And they're not, they don't know how to play that way. They've never, yeah. they rarely, they rarely play that way. And it never yeah, worked. And it, and it, and, and they kind of look awkward when they do. Um, and in the end, they end up dropping the two and they end up dropping two of the three points that they up until then had deserved to get uh, Ronaldo in stoppage time, but it doesn't, it, it, it comes with a little bit of controversy. What yeah. appears to be yeah. a handball by Mason Greenwood uh, in that in that setup where it, I think it struck his arm and it fell to Ronaldo and Ronaldo scored. Yeah. Um, whether it's intentional or not, whether it's a natural position or unnatural position, an unfair advantage is created to score a goal. That's a handball in the strictest interpretation of the rule, in yeah. my opinion. And, and, and you know, from how I interpret the law, how you interpret the law, I would imagine you're on you're on the same page with me on this. But this is. Yeah. This was a very poor refereeing non-decision. Was it Maresca? Uh, what's that? Is it, was it Maresca? <laughs> uh, wait a minute, I'll tell you. No, it wasn't him. <laughs> I forget who it was. It was the, uh, where was he from? I don't remember. It was the poor um, call. I can, I can tell you. Uh, it, certainly, it should not have been It was uh, uh, Slavko Vincic. Okay. Uh, Slovakian referee. Right on. Right on. Um, should not have been allowed. Nope. But... Yeah. Great finish. Manchester though. United get away with it. It's 2 2. Um, I'll let you give your reaction to it. I mean, I'm just going to, you know, that aside, it makes me sick to read everybody's fawning over Ronaldo. <laughs> he essentially was the finishing piece of that beautiful team display in the first half. You know, that yeah. that first goal had far more to do with Bruno Fernandes than it did Ronaldo. And sure. then the second goal was off of a handball assist. And people were talking about he's done it again. Well, this is what he does. He scores tap-ins. He's in the, he has changed his game. And, the, and I'll give Ronaldo a lot of credit because we saw him do this at Juventus. He is a tap-in merchant now. He is a savvy position guy now. He's not running at people and creating his own chance you know, taking people on like he did at Man United the first time around at Real Madrid. It's akin to that basketball player, Michael Jordan, early in his career, just attacked the basket relentlessly. And as he got older, he learned how to make jump shots. Yeah. You know, you score, you're you're still a goal scorer. You're scoring goals in different ways, so which, to which I'll give Ronaldo a lot of credit for. But let's not, like, kiss the ground that he walks on over these two goals. It's just nauseating. Sometimes he got a, he was on the end of a beautiful piece of team play that 25 to 30. I, I could come up with 25 to 30 attackers playing in this champions league would have scored. And he was on the end of a handball assist that those same 25 to 30 attackers playing in the champions league would have scored as well. So, yeah. you know, it's just, let's not get, I mean, Man United fanboys and Ronaldo fanboys, let's not get carried away here. Sure, and and, and, that, and those are those are very those are very good points. Um, I would counter in that Ronaldo just always seems to show up in these occasions, and it, the sign of greatness and kind yeah. of what you mentioned was Jordan is you you develop your game evolves, and then as you get older, you find ways to continue to be you know prolific. And he's he's done that. He's now a poacher, uh, an Inzaghi type player, where just he's right place, right time, and gets his goals. He can still he has, still has a shot, um, and he's always had the flair for the drama, Champions League specifically. But 
uh, it always sure. in the big games he pops up and he's he will do nothing for 88 minutes but still have two goals in the game, right? Um, yep. we joked about that with Zlatan, I think, a couple weeks ago, too. The same same situation where he was empty, it was Nolan Boyd for 89 minutes and scored a goal. Um, yeah, these great players, they as they get older, they find ways to score goals. Now, yeah, they shouldn't be gushing over him in the sense that he didn't win the whole game, he did all this great stuff in the game, no, but he came up big again when the team needed him, which is it to me is a sign of greatness. Um, but I don't think, like you said, should be gushing over him, like, like oh, look what he did it again. Like, he's just a fantastic player, take it for what it is. Yeah. Done. When Messi does these things, he's great. Let it yeah. be. That's it. Right place, right time. I mean, it was, it was. I mean, there were two right place, right time goals, which that that in, that involves some experience too. I mean, and it involves some savvy, and it involves what a player over and all this quality can do. But the actual technical responsibilities. There's a lot of players. There's a lot of attacking players playing in the Champions League that would have scored those goals. Um, so you know, that's that's kind of where I get concerned. All right, so Atalanta is sitting in third place in the group, Richard. They are on five points. Man United and Villarreal are on seven points. Villarreal were able to sweep six points off of Young Boys uh, over match day three and match day four. So Atalanta find themselves in the same position that they were in two years ago where they control their destiny. Actually, they didn't control their destiny two years ago. They still had to get a lot of help. But in this case, they absolutely control their destiny. Match day five, they're home against Villarreal. Match day six, they travel to Young Boys. Six points, they go through. Um, simple as that. Will they do it? I think they will. I think I think this team is too good, and they 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 they're at the point in their stage of their development where they they expect to get out of the group stages, and so they're going to take this very seriously. And I think they're going I think they're going to get the result. Um, I fully expect them to get. Um, I, I think they're going to get the six points. Honestly, I, I think they do. Uh, well, it's maybe sacrificing some results in Serie A to do it. I think they'll do that. Uh, we've seen that before. That they, that that is what they like to focus in is Champions League group stages areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so I fully expect them to get six points. Uh, it's a better position than other Serie A teams in in Europe. But uh, yeah, with the talent that they have, they're gonna they're gonna make someone maybe both those teams they have left uh, pay a little bit and get a lot of goals in this. So uh, yeah, I think they're going through. Do you think they're going through? I I. I think they'll go through. I think they'll win at Young Boys. I think the game at home against Villarreal is obviously the key game. If they do not win, it's, I think it's going to be difficult um, because that'll put them on eight points. That'll put Villarreal on eight points. That will put uh, what on, on that will put Atalanta on six, and then they would need to win unless it's a nil-nil or a one-one draw. Um, against Villarreal at home. They could have that happen. And then they would have a head-to-head over Villarreal if they ever got level on points. And then if Villarreal failed to beat United and Atalanta can win at Young Boys, that's another path for Atalanta to go through. But I think there's there's a a note here with Villarreal, with Unai Emery, because now there's a lot of rumors with the Newcastle takeover that Unai Emery is one of the candidates for that job. How much of that is a distraction with his Villarreal team? You know, so that's going to be interesting to, you know, to figure out. Um, and there's some quality with the Real team. They didn't have Moreno for the Young Boys game. Danjuma is is a solid player. Parejo is a very good technician from midfield. He's on their set pieces. Uh, this Jeremy Pino, we saw him uh, play for Spain against Italy. So there's some quality in what um, what Villarreal do. But I don't think it's anything that Atalanta should be terribly afraid of compared to what they just went through over the last two games against Manchester United. Yeah, no, I agree 100% about that. All right. Why don't you tell us about what happened between Juve and Zenit? 
Juve and Zenit. Uh, yeah, a little bit of um, so. Juventus had been floundering coming up into up, up until this game. Um, we had talked several weeks ago, maybe Allegri's found a way to uh, rejuvenate this team. They're starting to play Allegri-style ball, but then since those comments, Juve has turned uh, back to their early season woes and struggled mightily in the league, at least. Um, and lo- they were looking for some kind of a reprieve in this one, and they found it in the way of Zenit St. Petersburg. Uh, they would win four goals to two. Uh, goal scoring would start early. Leonardo Bonucci, uh, playing against Juventus all season long, continues to score against them now, uh, giving Zenit the early lead. Uh, but uh, after that, it would pretty much be all Juventus. Juventus, uh, well, before that own goal, Dybala had scored. Dybala would get a second goal through a penalty in the 58th. Federico Chiesa, wonderful goal in the 73rd minute, and then Alvaro Morata in the 82nd. 4 1 at that point. Uh, Asmoon scored a goal in this 92nd minute. Uh, really, it's just all for fluff. Uh, Juventus find a way to win 26 shots on target in the game. Seems like they found their mojo back a little bit. I, granted, it's Zenit, uh, but it's 11 shots on target. They 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 performed very well. Passing was doing really great. Uh, they probably almost had 200 more passes than Zenit did. Uh, just a, a a strong performance for Juventus. Granted, you take it with a grain of, a grain of salt with who they played against, but that's the result they needed, uh, considering all the shit basically that was been going on in Syria. They need to find their their fan base need to find something to, to, to support and a result like this was a good way to get back to that. Um but you know it's still they there's a long way to go. They're not back. They're not back as like we originally thought maybe a month ago or two. Um a lot to work on but you know at least for uh a, a three hours, two hours, whatever it is uh, they found a way to get the result when they needed it, and their backs were against the wall. And of course, it's Paulo Dybala, Federico Chiesa, and Marata leading the way. So, what are your thoughts on this game? Um, you, we were talking about a Zenit team that isn't, you know, they don't have the char- characteristics of a City I team in that maybe, maybe they do have some, but I mean, they're they're fun bad. Um, they play a very free and a in a very open game. Um, they want the ball. They want to create. They don't want to sit back and defend and things like that. So it's it's kind of hard for me. For did Juventus need this? Yes, they needed it. But it's kind of hard for me to really get excited about saying, "Oh, there, this is this is the start of something." Because you played a Zenit team that had to go out and attack you left themselves open, you know, once it was 2-1 to try to get something out of it and get back in the game once Dybala made the penalty. And then they went after you. They tried to get numbers forward. They had Malcolm in the game. Um, they they brought in Juba to try to get something. They they started just bringing – Erokin came in for uh, Claudinho. So, I mean, the all the substitutes were very attack-minded and just left them exposed in the back. And this is a Zenit team that already just can't, they, they concede goals in their own league with regularity. There's not a lot of clean sheets going on in there. So um, they were going to be left wide open and, and Juventus with the quality that they have took advantage. I almost think, almost think that this is their best lineup. uh, What they started. I'm not on board with Bernardeschi. And I don't like, I don't like Chiesa on the right with Dybala in front of him. Um, I if you're going to start, 
I, I think it's, I think a lot of things. And I went and when I watched it in the midweek game against Sassuolo, I thought a lot of things got duplicated and Sassuolo were able to overload their shape over to that side mm. and could just, and, and when you do that, you can defend Murata 1v1 or man mark him or wherever you want to do because the ball's not going to get to him. If you overload the shape, if you lo- overload the playing area where Dybala is and where Chiesa is, they can't get service over to Murata. Right. Okay. Uh, so I thought Sassuolo, um, Dionisi was extremely smart in how he set his team up for that game. Um, you know, which is, you know, that's the tactical know-how that Serie A teams are going to have. And if they see that, it's all right. The two guy you're, you're putting the two guys that we have to worry about on the same side of the pitch, okay? Th- that's going to be easy for us, okay? And then you know, I, I think in the second half of that Sassuolo game, he moved Chiesa back over to the left. DiBala was still on the right, and then things were a little bit more balanced, and you had to show Juve a little bit more respect. Same thing here. Chiesa moved over to the left. He scored from the left hand side, okay? I think that Juve's best team is. Morata in that striker role being flanked by Dybala and Chiesa. Okay. And then I, you know, McKenney wants to come forward from the midfield position. I think if you have a McKenney Locatelli Bentoncourt midfield, I mean, we, I mean, we just got to talk about the squad that we have, and then that's what you're going to have to do. And this freezes out Juan Cuadrado. Um, but I think you have to do it. Uh, you know, and I think that that's what, that's what I would be doing if I was Allegri. That's what I would be doing if I had Juventus. That would be my, that would be my system. Yeah. Four, three, three. And it's a system that, you know, you, Alexandro is a very good defensive left back. Yeah. You know, you could probably have, uh, you know, Locatelli lurking over there who can do some box to box stuff and you can give Chiesa a little bit more freedom to stay forward in that setup, you know, where he can be more dangerous. Um, so in this case, in the Zenit game, it's a team that is just got so exposed that it was just so easy to create chances against them. When they now come back to play against, you know, play in Serie A, you know, people will be able to attack Juve and, and, and defuse them. And now, in the words of uh, Carmine Lupatazzi Jr. from The Sopranos, you're at the precipice, Juventus, of an enormous crossroad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have a mix of guys that did it the old way and can find a way to win one nil. Okay. Or even two nil, yeah. you know, the old guard of guys like Bonucci, Chiellini, you can throw Alexandro into that mix. He's been there long enough. Um, you know, Dybala to an extent is being the guy that comes up with the creativity that gets you the goal that wins you the game. But now you have a collection of guys here that are better suited for a different game. You know, Marata comes from Spain. All right. And he comes from the Spanish national team. They want to be forward and they want to be ball dominant and they want to create chances where he's at the end of it. You know, Dybala is a creative type of player. Chiesa and Locatelli have been playing with an Italy that want the ball and want to attack. And Chiesa and Locatelli both looked at their best in their careers playing for this Italy at the Euros. I'll, I'll make that argument. I mean, Chiesa's had some really nice moments at Juventus, but Locatelli, when he deputized for Verratti, was outstanding. Chiesa looked really, really good down the stretch of that tournament. So you've got guys that want to attack. And McKenney wants to find his way into the opponent's penalty area, too. It's going to take a lot of courage for Allegri, but 
and it's going to have to take some change with him, but he's going to have to take his chances and say, look, we're going to have to play. We're going to have to attack, you know, this is this is who we're going to have to be. We're going to have to create this kind of identity. We're going to have to play some attacking football. And we're going to have to be a team that when we score one, we're going to go, we're going to go hunting for a second. Exactly. You know, um, exactly. when you look at the players on this team right now, Juventus sets up for we go looking for the goal and then we still try to be game managers. And I think that this roster has turned over too much for Juventus to play that way. You know, with some regularity, there are going to be days where they're going to be able to get away with that when they beat Roma. Okay, but there are going to be a lot of games in Serie A where that's not going to happen. Same thing here in the Champions League. Look at what all the top Champions League teams are doing. Look what Liverpool did against Atletico Madrid today. They scored one. They went hunting for a second right away. They weren't happy with a 1-0 lead. Yeah. So Bayern, my gosh. Bayern did the same thing. Bayern aren't happy unless they score five. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. I like your shot about this being the best possibly 11 that Juventus have. And I like your shot about. Chiesa is probably, to me, I think Chiesa is probably best if him and Bernadeschi swap. Um, I think the luxury of having Chiesa, Bernadeschi, and and Dybala all out there is that they're all interchangeable where they can move around on the pitch and really confuse the defense. Not that they're all good in every position, but it can really confuse the defense like that. You know, Chiesa is obviously so mobile. He needs to have that freedom to move around, as does Dybala. Um, and I think Chiesa would do the best if he was behind Morata because Morata likes that kind of player who can interchange with him to create you know, create those opportunities like he does with Spain, right? And Chiesa can certainly do his thing uh, no matter where he's on the pitch. And so if Dybala had a little bit more freedom, had Bernadeschi, who is at times very serviceable, um, he's, he had, he's had moments of, of really strong play under Allegri. And even for the Azzurri at times, uh, he's still a pain in the ass for all of us, for, for me at least. I, I'm not a huge fan of him, but he does – a d- decent job, you know, and I think if he if he was on the right hand side and and letting has the freedom to move around with DiBala and Chiesa, that could really cause you know chaos for the defenders who have to defend them. And then oh by the way, Marata who's just sniffing around for a, for a poaching goal, so yeah. it could work. It needs patience. Um, the midfield is still the issue. Locatelli is obviously the answer, but McKenny, you know, he as much as Juventini and I and, I, and they're gonna say this is the American bias to me, but he's he's. He's been scoring some big goals for them, mostly in losses, but he's scoring goals. Who else is scoring yes. goals? Uh, yes. Artur, Artur had a terrible giveaway against Hellas Verona, right? Basically gave it basically the first goal for um, that they scored. Um, and then, you know, Bentancur is sometimes hot, sometimes cold, very cold. Uh, and so who are you going to put in there? And so they need to patch it together until they get to the January window where they can maybe bring in some reinforcements in that midfield to help this team really stabilize. Um, yeah. Cuadrado or Danilo on the right is going to be good. Obviously, uh, Sandro on the left and the center backs, you know, they'll do what they have to do. But um, this might be as close to the best 11 that they have. This I would not. I just I just I just wouldn't have Bernadeschi in there. I would have either Rabio or or Benton Core and have a third midfielder That's uh, in front of that back four. Yeah. But I would have Marata as your reference point. I would have Dybala attacking from the right and I would have Chiesa attacking from the left. You know, just do it. Stop having Chiesa and Dybala. I understand you get great combinations when they can link up, but people are figuring that out now, and they're overloading, and there isn't the room for these guys to play. Um, so, you know, and, and VJ, yeah, Carmen Lupertazzi Jr. was an underrated character on The Sopranos, by the way. And what do we see from Mancini and the, the Azzurri, right? You're they, just going to totally, totally fly past that one? <laughs> I, you know, 
I, I'm gonna I'm gonna come out here and say I've actually not really watched The Sopranos, so I don't know. I don't no! Know oh no! I, I, I've I've watched maybe two episodes ever. Oh no! I never got it, so I know. I know. Who who are you? I know. I know. Who are you? What are we doing? What are we doing? What am I doing? I said nearly six years with you. You never <laughs> watched The Sopranos? Yeah, yeah. I never got oh. into like TV shows, so like. Oh no! Yeah, I know. VJ, are you still in the chat? <laughs> Take Save us! <laughs> but I was gonna say, uh, while I was trying to dodge the Soprano question, was that you know what we saw from the Azuri with Chiesa is Mancini would like throw wrenches against the defense where Chiesa would be on one side and then flip the script and put him on the other side, confusing the yeah. defense, you know. And that's what you know Allegri needs to do some more of that with DiBala and, and moving them around. So yeah, no. Yeah. All right, um, <laughs> but it's what it is. Okay, so tracking Juventus, I don't think there's much to track here. They qualified. With that win, the only thing that's left for them now is if they want to secure uh, finishing top of the group, uh, you know, they've got to keep winning because Chelsea's not going to stop. Uh, Chelsea has to make the trip to Russia next. Juve get Malmo at home. Uh, the Doesn't best matter case- is the question because, and I say this because there's so many, te- so many groups with t- two very strong teams. And it's like, finish first or second, you're going to have a difficult team no matter what. I think you want to try to avoid the the group winners at sure, the end of the day. Sure, sure. Um, you don't want to draw Bayern, okay? Uh, yeah, you know, you, you if Real Madrid wins Group D, there's still going to be something about them. Yeah. You don't want to draw Liverpool. You know, could it be Manchester? I think Manchester City wins wins Group A over over PSG. I think you want to try to avoid those draws in the round of 16. Having said that about Juventus, <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter because who have they lost in the last three years? Yeah. I mean, Leon and, and Porto and Ajax. So, yeah, yeah. maybe it doesn't matter. Um, so, uh, it's, someone else says, look, Anthony says he's never watched the show, so not alone, but VJ chimed in. <laughs> I, I, I don't know who you people are anymore. <laughs> it's really cold right now where I'm sitting. Switch with me. It's very hot where I'm at. All right. All right. Uh, we had an early game today, uh, Richard, with our teams, Milan and Porto. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, not prepared for that game. You told me, like, the game's on. I'm like, what? The game's on? I'm like, what? What? I'm expecting the Yeah, they were the early game. Five. You got to check your schedule. You don't watch Sopranos, and you don't check your game schedule. <laughs> I'm living by the fl- seat of my pants, you know? Yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing anymore. <laughs> you get a kid, you just throw everything out the window. No schedule. It's just... <laughs> try having two. Try having two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, Milan. Uh, Milan play Porto today. Uh, obviously, losing a uh, the last game to a very controversial play. Um, of course, controversy is going to start around again. Uh, this happened in the six minutes this time. Uh, ben Acer gets the ball, gets tackled, and I forget who the player was for for Porto. Takes down, takes out Benacer, gets the ball, plays it as a give and go. Uh, Luis Diaz ends up getting the goal in the sixth minute. They didn't really check it at all, honestly. Uh, a controversial way to start the game, Frank. Uh, one nothing down. Not only just one nothing down, but just the manner in that the way it happened. Um, and it's happened again against Porto, second time in, in consecutive games against them. Um, I mean, you you sent me a, a text immediately when it happened. What were your thoughts? Run us through what you were thinking as that play was developing. That was a foul, and I thought that VAR would would overturn it, and they didn't. Um, I mean, and and you know, and I went and I made the comment 
there were a lot of shocking refereeing decisions in the, across the Champions League that not, not just Milan were impacted. I mean, I think Borussia Dortmund, Matt Hummels was sent off for a <laughs> studs up challenged that missed. Okay, didn't make any contact with Anthony of Ajax, and Anthony actually landed on Hummels. <laughs> and he's an understudy of Neymar. Yeah, and goes down, and Hummels gets sent off. And they even go to VAR and they confirm it's a red. And it's like, he didn't, he didn't foul him. He didn't make contact. It's like, you know, so was that the Atletico kid who got sent off for just running? Be I mean, that's 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 a yellow at worst. It's just like after a while, I stopped feeling like there was a conspiracy theory and that everybody was out to get Milan um, because of that. But no, in this particular case. And I had to get a half a chuckle because later on, Dave Farrar, who was calling the game, uh, who I missed dearly. I wish he was still doing Serie A games. He was great in the time when uh, it was ESPN and DAZN, um, you know, doing that. And he had usually had the main game, but um, <laughs> had a half a chuckle. He said when it was Grich created the opening goal. It's like, not quite. <laughs> so not, not in the strictest definition. <laughs> so... But, um, you know, and I, I, I digested this game a little bit. And you had a lot of Milan Twitter complaining about the performance of Milan in the first half. But a lot of it is also the psychology of you just conceded a goal that you should have been awarded a free kick for. You know, there's a process of we, we need to get up and, you know, how do we get up from this? How do we how do we deal with this? I mean, me as a player knowing that that happens, if that impacted my team in a negative way, I'd have a hard time trying to regroup and try to play to know that that that's an element that we have to deal with as the game goes on as well. I'm not yeah. making excuses for Milan because they were, they were poor in the first, first half. I felt like Sandro Tonali was the only player in the starting 11 for Milan that was actually trying to play. Um, everybody else just looked like they went through the motions. I think you got a couple of hard charging runs from Teo. Um, Tamari and, and Romagnoli struggled together back there. Tatrasano made some really nice saves in the first half and kept Milan in it, gave him a chance. Um, but you know, it, it, it started with that six minute incident. And I think that that kind of, that psychologically does rattle a player, you know, at some point. And I, but I don't want to say that that was why Milan were so poor in the first half, but I want to say that that does play a role. You know, it doesn't help. Let's yeah. just put it that way. Yeah, Milan had the line share possession according to statistics, but they were getting outshot, you know, heavily uh, from uh, Porto. And it's funny that of the three difficult teams in this group, Porto being the least difficult of the three is a team that Milan's had the most struggles with in Champions League so far. The two games against Porto, they've looked not that great. Atleti, they looked great until the red card. Liverpool, they looked, you know, they had showed a lot of fight in that one. So it's it's just funny how that that works sometimes. The Porto, they're a good team and. Um, yeah, they made they made life difficult for Milan. Milan tried to get back into the game. Uh, they would end up getting a goal in the 61st minute. That, you know, they're going to call it an own goal. I'm going to call it Kalulu goal, but um, it's it's a goal nonetheless for Milan to get back into the game. But um, yeah, it just Milan again coming up short, one one in this game. They actually get a point finally in this in this uh, group. Um, not quite eliminated, but they are on the ropes. Uh, I don't have high hopes that they're going to get out here. Honestly, I, w- I would have been fine if they lost this game just so they can fully concentrate on, on, on Serie A. But uh, they're still in it. They're not technically eliminated. Things They can qualify two wins and 
some magic happens and they can make it in. But um, I'm not holding my breath on that. How about you? No, they're going to need to pull an Atalanta from two years ago and I don't win even out. think they're making third. I don't even think they're making third. They'll be fourth. They're going to need to beat a Liverpool that for all in Liverpool is clinched first place in this group. So they could get a less than full strength Liverpool team on match day five, um, which would put them on four points. And then say you get a, you know, a Porto that in Porto Atleti draw. Okay. So now Atleti's on five, Porto's on six, Milan's on four. Um, Milan have to go to Atleti with Porto having to go to Anfield. Um, and if Milan beat Atleti and then Liverpool somehow a chain a, a less than full strength Liverpool team beats Porto, that's Milan's path to second. It's a very similar path to Atalanta a couple of years ago. Much, much harder to do because Atalanta's group featured a Shakhtar Donetsk that you knew they could beat. Um, and then another team that they got at home on match day, uh, uh, Dinamo Zagreb. I mean, it's a much, it was a much later group, much easier for Atalanta to navigate this this is a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah. Um, so statistically, it's there, but I I can't see it. I just can't. Yeah. I think that you know. I think that this will get decided by match day five. I think Porto and you know whether it's Atleti, you know, beating Porto or or Porto get a win at you know at home. Porto gets Atleti in Portugal. Um, if, you know, if, Porto can put this away and can decide this. Can you know and can decide this and grab second and. You know, Ollie is saying Klopp won't feel the weak side, though. He'll feel the change side. It won't necessarily be weak. But would you play Mohamed Salah at the San Siro when you don't need to? No. Don't no risk when you're, when you're trying to chase a Premier League at the same time? I wouldn't. Yeah. So I think, I think if Milan finishes, finds a way to finish second, that's great. And they get lots of money for that and to get out of the groups. But I don't want them to finish third because I don't, I don't want them to waste their time trying to get a Europa League title when they had a Scudetto, which I think is a bigger, more attainable goal, especially with what happened last year. You want to kind of put that behind you and continue on throughout the season, not just have a, a winner half finish, right? Um, yep. Yeah, and it's it's funny because one of the comments in here said, you know, Milan look off, and it seems like Milan are Jekyll and Hyde in between Champions League and Serie A. Uh, I've, I've had some friends who don't watch Serie A who've seen them in, in Champions League, and then they, they finally started watching them in, in Serie A and be like, is Milan really this good or or what's going on with the Champions League? And I'm like, Milan is good. They're just very naive and and they're in a difficult group. They're learning. It was they're always gonna finish yeah. poorly in this in this group. What you see in City A is a true Milan. Um, I don't know if it's gonna be sustainable for all season, but they are very good. Um, and so you know it's it's unexpl- it's hard to explain really other than naivety that this team has been so young, never been in Champions League for many years. Most of these players haven't been in other than Zlatan um, and Giroud. So, yeah, that's the only thing I can explain to why they play so poorly or get the res- results are so poor in Champions League versus Serie A where they're, they're full of confidence and they attack teams and they dominate the play. Uh, we saw glimpses of that against Atleti for a few minutes. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't explain it. Can you? I don't necessarily give Milan a failing grade uh, for how they perform. I, I don't either. In this group stage also. I, I think I think I got to get that. I think I've got to point that out. Um, I agree with Ali Oxen Free. This is a test run, and this is what we've always said. They're going to finish poorly in this in this Champions League, but they're going to learn. And what better way to learn against Liverpool, Atleti, and Porto? I mean, that's what you want to learn from. Well, and to follow up on that point, 
um, that's exactly my comment. When that group came out and said, what are our chances of even winning this competition anyway? You know, so let's get into a group with three quality sides, play them home and away. Let's see where we're at against some of the best in Europe, including a Liverpool team that, you know, I agree when I think I listened to Danny Higginbotham the other day on Sirius XM FC say that there's four teams in this competition that can win it. And Liverpool is one of them. They're one of them. So how did we look against them? Yeah, after being under siege for 30 minutes and weathering that, we actually were ahead of them at halftime. And we had chances after being down 3-2 to make it 3-3. So sometimes you've got to look at performance when you're being reintroduced to a certain competition and say, hey, you know, it's not that far off. The numbers don't look great. The results don't look great. But the performances don't. You know, the performances are are not that suggest that we're not that far away or that, me, you know, that Milan is not that far away. And I think that that was always what you wanted to pay the closest attention to, that this was always going to be a challenge for Milan to be one of the top two teams in this group or even grab the Europa League place. And, uh, you know, I think that this is, only, you know, to Ali's point, playing the best will only be good for Milan's kids. Absolutely. And that's what we're. You know, and we're and we're gauging where they're at, and as they continue to gain experience, they're going to learn from stuff like this. And I mean, look at Inter. You know, when they return to the Champions League, they out in the group stage these last couple of years, they're going to probably go through this year. Um, so why not? We, we and hey, as long as I'm bringing up Inter, we'll segue. Um, Nicely done. Yeah. Well, it was it was actually a, a very ugly segue, but that's why we don't get paid. Um, <laughs> Inter at Sheriff, uh, 3-1 win for Inter. Inter came out with Handanovic in goal, the traditional back three of Skriniar de Bra. I thank you, uh, Simone Inzaghi, for sending these guys to Moldova and running them into the ground before the derby on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't think they really ran got run into the ground. No. But uh, Skriniar de Bra, Bastoni, Darmian, and Federico Di Marco as the wingbacks. Vidal, Brozovic, Barella in midfield. Jeko and Lataro up front. Lataro was... Until Atara should have scored a hat trick in this game, yeah. um, is really what it comes down to. And this was nil nil at halftime uh, with Inter. You know, I just Inter Twitter was like, "How have we not scored?" And yeah, how have you not scored? Thirteen to one, first half shots, just one on target. That's probably why you didn't score. So uh, second half, uh, then they they figured out how to get shots on target. They got seven on target. Three went in, uh, starting with Marcelo Brozovic. In the 54th minute, uh, Skriniar in the 66th minute after that ball got bounced around in the penalty area. Uh, and Alexis Sanchez coming on, ironically enough, for the Lautaro Martinez, who should have scored the hat trick, got on the pitch and scored. Um, and then Adama Traore, not not that one, um, scored for Sheriff uh, to make it 3-1. Um, Wolves fans all just had a stroke. I was, like, I was like, wait, what? What happened? When any, any, any Wolves fans listening to this podcast just had a stroke. <laughs> so, um, but uh, uh, so 3 1 to Inter, Richard. Uh, overall assessment on Inter's performance today? It was a good warm up for them heading into the big derby. I think um, first half, obviously, you're starting to get those the thoughts in the back of your head. Oh, here we go again. We're going to struggle unnecessarily. Uh, but then they find ways to get goals, and then the, the floodgates open, really. Um, it's a good warm-up for them. Like I said, yes, we're hopeful that they can maybe drain some of these players' energies, but uh, we doubt it. Uh, it's Again, it's, it's just like a, a spirited practice for them. Uh, they got to get some goals in them. 
Uh, Walking Correa, I f- expect, is going to feature heavily against Milan. He should at least because he's a Milan killer. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Hakan's probably going to do well against Milan, but uh, we'll get to that later. Um, I thought I thought in this game, Inter looked good. Lots of shots off. They figured out a way from missing the target in the first half to hitting the target in the second half. Um, and that's important. You know, if, when you're struggling, to get it on goal. Good things happen. Gretzky will say that, right? Your best yep. shot. You can't score goals if you don't put it on target. So Inter did yep. that. I started getting goals, three goals of the seven shots on target went in. So that's what happens when you get them on target. So um, they figured it out. And it's, uh, you know, about time. And Teresa are probably happy now. They're, they're, they're looking like they're going to progress, as you mentioned. And I think it's good for City A if they do progress out there. Um, they have a team that's strong enough to co- who could go far. Of all the City A teams, they're probably the best built in terms of overall and, and different tactics to go deep. Um, Atalanta have the talent for sure, and then Juventus can can scrape it out under Allegri's uh tactics. But um, Inter, this is a good team, and it's uh, it's a good result before a big game for them. So kudos to yep. them. Yep, with you on all that. Um, so they're second to Real Madrid. Uh, we've got this Sheriff fairy tale, fairy tale that's still lingering, although Inter have significant head to head over them as far as qualification. Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, Sheriff, uh, I believe, travel to Shakhtar next. Um, and I believe that Inter are traveling to Real Madrid. Yes. Um, so Inter are in a great position to go to Real Madrid. If they win that, they host Shakhtar Donetsk. You would think they'd go through and win. If they win both games, they control their destiny as far as winning the group. Um they there's still an element of they could get bumped to third if Sheriff pulls off a surprise. They do have to go to Donetsk um, on match day five, which really is never easy, um, but maybe a little bit easier this year than in years past. You know, so Inter would be best to go and get themselves a result. Uh on match day five at in Spain, um, whether they do it or not, um, is going to be another story. What it ultimately, I think is going to boil down to is they got to get those three points at home against Shakhtar Donetsk, because I think that that in itself should be enough, uh, to get them through. Uh, because if they do that, that'll put them on 10 points and say they lose to Real Madrid, Real Madrid, wrap up the group. Sheriff, uh, get, a win against Shakhtar Donetsk, and if Real Madrid and Sheriff tie, the only way that Inter are, the only way that Inter are going to go into third and go into the Europa League is if Inter lose to Real Madrid and Sheriff win out. They win um, at Shakhtar, and then they win at home uh, against Real Madrid. So, interest in pretty good position, but it wouldn't hurt them for them to get some points in Spain. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. It, that it'd be. What a fantastic fair tale if you know Sheriff were to get six points this last two games, but I don't I don't see it happening. And I, I think Inter in a very strong position here going to get out of the group. Uh whether they finish first or second is to be determined, but I I think they're gonna get out of this group uh about time, right? And it's uh figures it's with Inzaghi and not Conte. So yep, yep, agreed. So so that's where we're at on Inter. Um, and that's where we're at on the four Champions League teams. I mean, they're all mathematically still alive. I think at the end of the day, I think that three of them are going to go through. Yep. Um, Juventus, Atalanta, and Inter. I think Milan's done. I don't even think they qualify 
for the Europa League. Don't want to be negative about that, but that's probably going to be helpful for them in terms of their pursuit of Serie A. Look what it did for Inter a year ago. Yeah, I, and I think that's the best case scenario if you're Milan. Um, is one we hope all all three Italian teams go through, but you know you, you don't want to have another competition to bog you down while you're trying to focus on the main goal, which should be Scudetto at this point. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think they're going to finish fourth, and um, I'm not going to be too troubled by that. Now let's move on to the Europa League, Richard. Um, I some on Napoli Twitter were talking about that if Milan don't get a result against Porto, that Napoli should like send pick that Spalletti should like pick the worst possible eleven to play in Poland <laughs> on Thursday, uh, and just try to get out of this uh, try to get out of this Europa League group. Um, so let's ask the question um, because I think actually. What they don't know is I think third place in the Europa League goes to the Conference League knockouts, if oh. I'm not mistaken. So, And they're sitting in a group that's really, really tight. They're going to travel to Legia Warsaw. They're playing uh, – they've got four points. Yep. Um, they're, they're, tied for, they're tied for second with Leicester City. They kind of have an advantage because at Leicester they, Correct. they tied 2-2. Two, two. Um, and then you've got Spartak Moscow sitting at the bottom of this group. Uh, it's also a goal difference thing right now, which is why Napoli edge Leicester. Um, but let's uh, let's take a look at it. Uh, Napoli at Legia Warsaw, and then also uh, Lazio travel uh, to Marseille. Uh, last time these two teams got together, it was painful. Um, I don't think there's a better way to put it. Uh, what are you expecting from the... Europa League participants in these games on Thursday. We said this uh, a while ago, as soon as these these groups were announced, that Legia Warsaw is one of the most difficult places to play in Europe, um, especially for a club that's being or a country being so small in terms of you know it's not one of the top five leagues. It's very difficult to play at Legia Warsaw. Uh, that crowd is very daunting there, and so you imagine it's going to be difficult for them. But I think Napoli have absolutely the talent to. I mean, they can go to Leicester and win and get a result. They can go to Legia and get a result. It's going to be difficult, but they can figure out a way to do this. Um, and I think it would serve Napoli's interest better. Yes, I know they're they're also thinking the same way Milan. And, hey, maybe we get out of this tournament and, you know, we can focus on the Scudetto. But for I think they're in different, they're different stages of development, both Napoli and Milan. Napoli yeah. are at a stage that they've had experience now in Champions League and Europa League. They're at a point now where they need to try to learn how to get deep runs in these tournaments and be competitive in both, right? In both, mm-hmm. like, I, there's also Coppa Italia, but you know, Scudetto and Champions League or whatever Europe, European competition you're in, you want to be able to go far in both and get the money and get the prestige. And I think that's the, the stage that Napoli's in at the moment is trying to find a way to compete in both at the same time. It serves their interest to serve in both because I think there'll be a Champions League team next year. And so if they can figure out a way to go really deep this year, uh, it'll serve them very well next season. And so I think that's how they need to think. And I know, like you said, some Napoli fans are hoping that maybe they get out of this and whatnot. But like you mentioned, if they finish in third place, they're going to go into the the Roma tournament we've been calling it, right? Uh, yep. the, the Conference League. So yep. I don't think they want that either. So yep, yep. I I think they these 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 games to these Eastern European countries are always tricky. Um. And I I see Napoli coming away. I, I think they draw tomorrow, to be honest. Yeah, that's a that's a, that's a good shout. Um, 
I think you're going to see Patania. You know, there you're going to see guys like Deme getting a chance to play. You know, they'll mix it up in a couple of different areas. Um, you know, so uh, and it's it's not like this Legia side is anything to write home about, but they're top of the group for a certain for a reason. Um, so, but I, I see a draw there, and then Lazio at Marseille. I man, the first game was so bad when these guys. I watched it. I'm sorry, I did. Um, it was, uh, let's see it, there was nothing, there was hardly anything on goal that troubled either goalkeeper. You would expect a little bit more of a spectacle with some of the players that were involved. I think that that one just drags to another draw. Um, you know, which sets the tone. Lazio keeps Marseille at bay and then they get Galatasaray at home, which they would have a chance of beating. I think they would go ahead and beat. And I think that Lazio between that and then finishing up against Locomotive Moscow could win group E, you know, and get themselves a bye to the round of the 16. So here's how this works. The way they've got it situated with the Europa League this season, the top two teams in each group advance. There's eight groups. First place uh, gets a bye into the round of 16. Uh, Second place will be in a draw with the third place teams from the Champions League groups. Uh, for preliminaries. So Lazio gets a point here. They can step up with some confidence, beat Galatasaray, beat Lokomotiv Moscow. They'll win the group uh, and avoid having to play that extra match. And I think that that's what's on the line for them. Yeah. And I think that's probably the mentality they should look at. I think um, they can do it. I, I, I certainly think they can do it. Marseille is a difficult opponent, but they can get a get a point out of this one. The other two games are absolutely winnable, um, and that would serve them well to you know come out of the, come out of this group uh, first place and get a buy in the or I guess it's a buy in the next round. And um, yeah, I, I I think it'd be good for them too to get some European ex, uh, experience. You know, Saudi's going to have that you know winning with Chelsea in the Europa League uh, several a few years ago. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I like Lazio's chances of progressing out of this group and getting getting a draw at least tomorrow. Um, can they get a win? Yeah, uh, they can also lose too. But I think they're going to play it uh, tough. It's it's going to be a tough game no matter what. And I, I I certainly see a a score draw on this one. Maybe we see a Marici siding. I don't know. Yeah, you never know. You never know. It could be a Mar- there could be a Marici siding. Uh, I guess we'll talk. Roma get to host Bodo Glimt uh, tomorrow as well. After Revenge thrashed him in Norway six to one. Um, I, I think Roma will go on and win this game, and I think that they'll reclaim control of the group uh, that they're in with uh, Zoria Luhansk and uh, Cheska Sofia. Do you think they win easy, or you think it's gonna be tight? Three uh, one. I'm gonna go. I think that they'll have kind of learned from that slip up. I think that they're. I, I think that after you know, kind of the ringer that they've gone through in league with some of these games and some of these tough games. I think they, they, they need a win. They need to win a game. And I think Mourinho understands that to try to kind of get things kickstarted again. Yeah. Um, and I think that they'll do it. I think they'll do it with a little bit of style, but I think that it's going to be, you know, it's going to be Mourinho-esque, but it's going to be 3-1. I, I think that they'll go on and, and beat Bodo Glimp by then. They'll take control and they'll regain control of that group. I think, uh, I think it'll be, Tighter than they want, or Romanisti want. I think, I think I could, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Bodo Glimp get the first goal, make everyone panic, and then they find ways to get two goals and get the win, get the victory. A easy or a comfortable victory, but a tighter than anybody wants. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we'll see. Yeah, we, we, we both agree that they're going to go on and win the game. Yeah. So hopefully. 
All right. So that was our European roundup. Uh, that's where we think things are at right now with those teams. Let's uh, jump into the next topic real quick, Richard. Uh, a game that is near and dear to both of our hearts. Derby della Madonnina. Yeah. November 7th, 2.45 p.m. Eastern, 1.45 p.m. My time. Remember, turn back the clocks Saturday night. Yes. Um, Don't an hour you do not want to be late for this game. Um, so a a game, I mean, right now, Napoli aside, Napoli have a game hosting Hellas Verona that honestly, as, as, as much as I've praised Hellas Verona, I think Napoli are going to win. Um, and you've got Juventus against Fiorentina on Saturday, which is going to be another tasty one. Yeah. Um, yeah. By the way, can Juventus fans on Twitter shut up about Vlaovic going to their team? They're they're getting worse than Premier League team fan bases. They are. That's that's stretch. That's stretch right there. <laughs> they've gotten to the point where they're they know that, that, that they've been performing so poorly that they're gonna. All right, they're gonna be that team that now says, "Well, we're gonna go get this guy and this guy and this guy, and everything's gonna change." So, all right. And you've been doing that for years. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but uh, let's, let's talk about it. Milan, Inter, uh, at the San Siro. Um, it's a home match for Milan. Yeah. Uh, 31 points, Inter 24. This is the opportunity for Inter to claw back into this title race. Um, you know, hard to say early in the season because a lot can still happen, but seven points back going in. Um, first of all, do you think there's a psychological advantage with Milan getting to play at home in the Champions League, Inter having to make that travel to Moldova and now having to make that travel back? Do you think, I, I, I think that's overrated personally. Some people like to look at that. Okay. If, if it was Europa League, um, if it was Europa League and, that was the case and it's a you know friday saturday and then the games on sunday i think yeah that'd be a little bit different but there's an extra day here um into one rather comfortably too uh so to me that's an overrated assessment but that's something that some people will talk about is oh they got to come back from moldova and you know what how, how are the legs be like say, well you know milan had to play that day too so um you know they got to sleep in their own beds that night but they got they had to play that day as well so i mean wh- wh- where are you out on it? i think it's overrated yeah it's it's very overrated as we've seen with these derbies nothing matters going into the derby because it's it's a different animal and it and the teams i mean one team could be on fire other team could be in piss poor as i mentioned the couch connection last night and it doesn't matter we've seen the, the team in poorer form win or someone had more difficulties more injuries find a way to win it the derby doesn't matter you throw everything out the yep. window and that's what matters the most. Um, and you mentioned, you know, Inter have a chance to bring it back within four. Someone in the chat mentioned it could be expanded to 10 points, right? This is a very huge game. Uh, while all optics read uh, maybe a, a draw on this one, you know, a win by either team could really open or or make this a tighter race. And uh, it'd be, that's so many things are on the line here. But I think that argument about, oh, they had to travel, this and that, it's, it's overrated, you know. No, it's... It's not gonna happen. Like we we don't we joked about oh Handanovic and the back three and all these players played. It's not gonna affect them. Uh, the chat's talking about Hakan Chalhanolu. I just wanted to find out first of all because is is he out with COVID? 
That's the first I've heard of it. Uh, that's the first would, I've heard of it as well. I would love it if that's true. Not that he has COVID, but because I have a, a, a nagging feeling that if he plays, he's going to play well, like really yeah. well. That's one of my fears. And, and walking Correa is the other one. But if Hakan's out of the game, I think that boasts well for Milan. All right. Hakan Chalanolu does blank in the derby. If he plays, I have a fear he's going to contribute to two or three goals. Score one, maybe one or two assists if he plays. That's my fear because he's got a chip on his shoulder and wants to show people he's a, that he was he should be missed and he, he was the reason why they did so well or something. I don't know. That's my fear. Do I honestly think that? I mean, do, based on what he's done this year, which is nothing, you know, more than likely nothing's going to happen. But I had this fear. It's, it's always when you play your old your old team, some players play better, and I just something in the back of my head with Hakan that he's going to come back to bite Milan. It always happens with Milan in the derbies. It seems like. Okay. What about you? I think he struggles for VJ's reason. It's a Milan home game, and I think that there'll be some psychology there. Now, if he puts in, listens to the whistles and all of that other stuff, I'll, I'll say this. You know, all the other stuff that the fans are going to subject him to every time he's on the ball and he starts having a positive impact on the game. I think that's going to settle him. And that is going to be something that Milan are going to have to worry about. Um, but well, I don't, I don't think actually is not, I, I think he'll be all right. You know, yeah. you know, when the when the ratings come out, when the player ratings come out and you tell me that he's going to be in the six point five, six point six range where OK, some decent things, but but not not great that wouldn't surprise me um you know so i i i put him into that so that's that that's that's what i think but it is a, it's a de facto home game for milan and it's well it's a home game for milan i shouldn't say de facto it's, it's their home man it's their own match yeah um so there'll be more milan fans there than inter fans supposedly we, we remember what happened when Gigio and the azuri came to milan and they booed the heck out of him and he struggled Yep. And someone in the chats mentioned Hawkins struggles against these, you know, the crowd sometimes. And so if the crowd gets on him, maybe it's against him. But as you said, it could help him if he starts playing well. So it's yep. interesting to see if he plays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got some people if he misses one shot, he'll be mad with himself and he'll self-destruct. He's a wild card in this game just because of the narrative that's going to be going on with him. So that'll be interesting. Um we'll see. Um Inter wins if blank. Walking Korea plays. Oh, no, that's not true. Um, Inter stick to their game. What we've seen in the last few weeks, that Inter, in the beginning of the season, they look like this, a very attack-minded team, can score goals in bunches and this and that. But we've seen in the last few weeks is that they have a plan B. They can play defensively. They can set up shop kind of like Allegri's Juventus used to do. Uh, get the one or two goals and then set up shop and let it be. Don't don't allow anything else. Um, if Inter wins, if they dominate the midfield and get an early goal to get that lead and kind of set up shop, um, they have some big game players in that midfield. Barella, Brozovic jump out, you know, jump out obviously, but they have a solid defense, one of the best in Europe. Um, and you know, depending on who's on striker, Jekko's having almost a resurgency in his career now with Inter after having two flub years at Roma. Um, Lautaro is a good player, and if Walking Correa is a Milan killer, 
look what he's done with Lazio against Milan. He's always scoring goals and sometimes game winners. Uh, you know, Inter Inter dominate this midfield game, get an early goal. This could be a, it. Could be a low scoring and a difficult game for Milan. Could be. I was going to just say, I said Inter win if if Brozovic and Barella get forward and either get or create chances. Because if that happens, now you unbalance this Milan team a little bit, okay? Um, and that might open things up for their forwards. So Milan's attack won't allow Inter to play their game. Nine of Milan's best 11 will be available. It won't be like last year's 3-0 when half of Milan's team were out injured. Okay, fine, they did. But this, having said that, this may also set up very well for what Inter might be best at doing especially with a manager like Simone Inzaghi, and that's counterattack. You know, so if Milan start committing some people forward and start creating some things and start creating some danger, you know, and start creating, you know, on that end, I mean, now you got Jekyll and Lataro going the other way. You're going to have, and we'll have to see if Calabria is going to be fit for the Derby. He, he left the uh, the game today injured. Uh, Kalulu is going to deputize in his place, and he looked great today, but now a full 90 minutes in a Derby. Um, I am fully expecting Ivan Perisic to start as the left wing back for Inter, and he is going to be going right at Kalulu. That's another that's another aspect that Milan are going to have to be on guard for. Um, but if the midfield for Inter are getting chances or creating chances, that's going to start asking some questions of this Milan team, and they've been shaky since Tatrasanu has been the goalkeeper. You know, they've been much more, much more sure of themselves, much more composed and organized under Mignon. Um, You know, so if Inter finds ways to to get Barella and Brozovic to be dangerous, not necessarily, I mean, Chalanolu, obviously, because he's going to be part of that. This could be, this could be a game that Inter can be successful in. And watch the play of the wingbacks too. If it's Darmian or, or Dumfries or or Demarco, whomever the the two wingbacks, watch them because they like to. They, in these situations, they tend to creep in from the back door and get that pass across and find a way to score. We've seen the we've seen the wingback to wingback play before successful against Milan. So that's also a threat uh, for Milan. I think it's Darmian and Perisic to start. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Perisic they start Dumfries in a game like this. I think his no, defending is too. Yeah, I think Leal would roast Dumfries. I think that Darmian could probably deal with him a little bit better. So, um, Milan win if blank. Um, well, Zlatan, you you expect Zlatan to do Zlatan things if he starts. Um, and and I also think Leal, prior to the season, while he's been you no know, inconsistent and stuff, he's always been a big game derby player. He's always showed up for the derby for whatever reason. Now he's on, so I I I, I expect Leao uh, have a big game. Um, but I think Milan wins if one they don't get stupid with getting a red card. Obviously, Teo Hernandez is not playing, so that's a blessing, I guess. And yeah. guys, <laughs> um, but and I don't want to say the midfield thing because it, it's 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 you know whoever wins the midfield wins the game, right? No, um, I think if the the players you don't expect. To, uh, not the big name players to really play better, play well. Salamakers, Raheem Diaz, uh, whoever's on the left way, left back, whether it's Kalulu or it's uh, Balotore, these guys who are the lesser known, known players step up and 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 get into the game. If Salamakers has a really great game, or Raheem Diaz takes over uh, and shows that he's better than Hakan Cholanolu, 
um, those are the ones that are really going to change the game because I think all the big name players from both teams that cancel each other out, and it's really the the, the players that you're not expecting to, to step up and get the game and get the the, the siding plays. I think you know, so yeah. um, I think if those players step up, Milan have a strong chance of winning. Um, I think they win if um, how's the best way to put this? If the mid, if I, I think they win, if they win the midfield battle, I really think that this comes down to who, who's, who's, whose midfield is better. Okay. Pioli, I think in the Derby that in, in one of the derbies that they won, he had Benacer shadowing Barella. Um, you could see a little bit of that where the other midfielder was doing some supporting and then they kind of mixed it up a little bit, which could allow the center backs to focus on the two strikers. Um, I could see that. Um, but I think that if they can win the midfield battle and somehow if Tonali starts, I, which two of the starts in the double pivot, I think you start Kessie and Benacer. I think you put the, I think you put the work rate because you've got Brahim back. Okay. And I think Brahim was fine today. I don't think he was spectacular. I think that there were some things against Porto where some timing looked suspect and whatnot. But um, I would say, and I, you know, I think Inter's midfield is slightly better right now. I agree with Riss. Riss, I, I believe that's respectful. respectful. <laughs> okay, respectful. Yeah. Um. So, Tonali. I or who you said Benacer and Kessie? I, I'm going to say Benacer and Kessie. I think you're going to want. Work rate, ball winning, where Tonali has made some strides, but he's not totally there. Yeah. You know, he but he but he's useful in a deep lying playmaking midfield role. Uh, so Vijay, to answer your question, I want to see Cassie and Benacer, Um, and I want to see Brahim playing in his 10 role. Um because I think Brahim in the 10 role will keep Brozovic honest. Um yeah. and keep him from venturing. So you do that, you have that element. And if Milan can execute that, they're gonna have the best chance to win. I think so. the three midfielders from Milan, they're 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 great. Uh yep. Tonali, Kessie, and Benacer. But I think I would rather start Kessie instead of bringing him on late. Um I think Benacer and, and Tonali can certainly come on late and add something. But I think having Kessie start is important for setting the tone. because uh, he's been up and down the season, but he gets up for games like this. And you need a strong Kessie to defeat Inter, I think. Um he's so he's so crucial when he when he's on, he he helps the team win games no doubt about it so you need him to start and it, it, it's a toss-up i would say benacer just because they've been so good together for for a long time yeah and then bring on tonali tonali will make an impact in the game you know no, no, no doubt about it um so i i, I agree with you i think benacer kessie should start uh and i think tonali coming off the bench you know if, if kessie's struggling bring him on earlier you know yep. even prior to 60th minute but i think tonali ends up coming on for kessie at the end and benacer plays the whole 90. Or can he last the whole ninety? I don't know. He, uh, did he play the whole ninety in this game against Porto today? I don't know, but um, yeah, that's. I would. I, I agree with you. With the who should start with those two, three. Who wins? <laughs> it's a derby. Um, I can see it going both ways, and I, I, I until I see the starting lineup, I really don't know. And I think pick one. <laughs> score draw. Ah, you're not gonna go for it. <laughs> I don't want to jinx it. Oh man, I don't know. I'm with you. Score draw. It's hard. 
I, I think we get I think we get a one one game. I'm I'm right now I'll go two leaning. Two. I'm what's that? I go two two. Two two. I'm right now leaning towards an inter win. Hard for me to say as a Milan supporter. Yeah. I just think that the some of the things some of I, I think that the lack of cohesion with Tatrasano and goal is gonna get exposed. He is and the I think that that's the ability. I think that's the glaring thing in this game. Tat, let's just put it: Tatrasanu plays the best game of his career on Sunday. Milan can win, okay. Yes. Um, but if he's, you know, and I thought today he played really well against Porto, and I think that he showed some signs. I think that he's unlucky to concede the goal he gave up. Um, but if he shows some of the flakiness that we've seen in some of these other games, and Milan are in some trouble, I'm, I'm going to say score draw. I'm not totally making this prediction yet. Maybe this weekend on Twitter, I'll jump on and say what I think is going to happen. When I see the lineups, I'll make the call yeah. on what I think will happen. But I'll, I'll go one-one for now. I think it'll be cagey. Um, and I think that Inter will control the match, I, but I think that Milan mm-hmm. will find a way to get a point out of it. I think the opposite. I think Milan's going to control the match, and Inter's going to play on the counter. Um, well, that that's what I mean. I mean, I think Inter's going to okay. be better at their game than Milan. Yes, I guess yeah, probably yeah, a better yeah. way to put it. And it's it's so many unknowns in this game um, because you got the new well, you got the X factor in this in that in the, it's Inzaghi. Yes, we know Inzaghi from Lazio, but you know how is Inter going to play against another big team with under Inzaghi? You kind of saw glimpses of that against you know Juve and some other games this year, um, but that's going to be interesting to see that dynamic. How does he yeah. set his team up? Is he going to go attacking? Is he going to play counter like we think he is? Um, so many unknowns in this game, and, and with the lineup, we don't know who's starting. You know, are the Milan killers going to be starting in this one? It's difficult to call. And when we get in those situations, you 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 lean towards a draw. Yeah, but we'll see. We'll see. Oh, that's going to be a heck of a game, I'll tell you that. Yeah. So, yeah. looking forward to it. Um. So that's the. Darby Della Madonina preview. We now close with the world's greatest hashtag game. Who won? Calcio Twitter. Richard, lead us off. All right. Leading off, this uh, comes from uh, Not Gianni, and it's uh, a, a video of Alexis Sanchez toying with Juventus. It says me fucking with Juventus Twitter every day. <laughs> <laughs> good start. Yeah, good okay. start. Good start. Um. All right, at Joe underscore Cappuccino, logging on to Calcio Twitter. What's in the box? The worst Calcio take you've ever seen. If you comment on it, you die. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. True story. True story. All right, next one gets nominated to us by Joseph Fischetti, and it comes from Stephen Moore and says, that look Nona gives you when you say, I'll just have a little. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yes yes we've all gotten that look from nona haven't we <laughs> so at uh mesonate uh giancarlo was 25 when Mourinho left for real madrid <laughs> and apparently this is some video that's something inter created <laughs> okay oh okay i got you <laughs> Oh, Giancarla. So she she going to the game. So it's been a long time since uh, Mourinho has been there. That's what they, I get it now. She's she's a little bit older. Very All old. right, that was good. That was good. George has a nominee. George has a nomination. He nominated himself. It says uh, after Cagliari beating Cagliari beating Sampdoria on the seventeenth, 
They thought they would finally turn it, but nope. We suck again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, we got on a rant about them today. So we did. We did. <laughs> uh, okay. At our charms, Uncle Sharma, our good friend coming in. Juve just got dunked on by a 12 year old Maxime <laughs> Lopez's way. He does four look foot like two. a kid. Does four it? foot two. Yeah. He does look like he a little kid, guy. doesn't he? <laughs> Oh well done. man, well done. Yes. All right. Next uh <laughs> comes from the big show underscore Neratzuri says acting like my four-year-old when he can't have snacks before dinner <laughs> as possible. <laughs> and my six-year-old and my nine-year-old. Uh, <laughs> we know the tantrums very well. It's close that to Jersey home. SoCal, George. Apparently they are shooting for last place this year and they are doing a great job at doing so. A gif of Joao Pedro <laughs> doing the archery thing. Oh, Satunyon getting involved says shocking scenes at the Juventus Stadium and Stewart stopped the Juventus fans from leaving the stadium to keep watching Allegri ball. That never gets old. That never gets old, man. Some of the uh, some of the regulars uh, chiming in. We like it. All right, uh, Jerry has been nominated by Nicholas Di Giovanni. Uh, Ronaldo 2021-22 kids two trophies nil. <laughs> so uh, the, the previous tweet was Cristiano Ronaldo announced that he and his wife are having suspecting twins. So there you go. Kids oh, two trophies here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, all right. This one comes from uh, Scott Monroe is nominating this one. It's from Alessandro ninety nine. My parents in the morning. Alessandro buongiorno. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Clever, yeah, clever. Yeah, all clever. right, very clever. Okay, all right. So, uh, best shade thrown this week. Hashtag who won Calcio Twitter in a one away right at City I Sit Down. This is from at Atalanta Passion. It is Venezia FC. Why is ESPN editing these photos? Guess the fashion photographers from Venice and Milan needed someone in world art capital <laughs> Bristol, Connecticut to <laughs> apply the finishing touch. Zing. Oh, yeah. So Venezia originally tweeted out these pictures and then ESPN, I guess, docked them themselves. And uh, yeah, Venezia didn't take too kindly to that. So what do they do? How, how do they doctor them? I don't know. They did something to touch it up, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Sure I, they did, but uh, yeah, Venezia, Venezia didn't like it. So Okay. I wasn't sure about that. Yep. Uh, Zio has uh, made the list. Zio says, <laughs> so original, original tweet was from Juve Therapy says uh, Morata is as useless as the G in lasagna. Well, you talk like Zio, he's going to get involved. He says, I like you, bud, but the G is very useful in lasagna. Otherwise, <laughs> it would sound like lasana. So G hits the spot. Talk like Zio. <laughs> G hits the spot. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. At Gianni Rules 27, Massimo DeSantis giving a yellow card. Uh, oh, it's from 90s football. Who's your favorite ever Juventus player? Massimo De Santis. <laughs> I guess I should scroll down and read the whole thing and be yeah, prepared, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Nice entry. All right, Inter Dave nominated this one. It's uh, Dr. Ilke says, uh, it's Icardi visit Rwanda, him crying visit Wanda. <laughs> Wanda Gate or Icardi Gate, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they're on and on, they're off again, they're off again. And I think they're off right now, but who knows? Uh, but very funny insane <laughs> insane uh let's see um okay so uh rafa is nominating patrick kendrick saying punctuation matters uh when you look at this picture of uh inter uh team 
come on lads um hashtag <laughs> inter <laughs> inter what i what did i miss oh i'm reading patrick kendrick's uh response punctual i just got it i just read it i was like oh come on lads. <laughs> he missed oh, the comma God. he missed the comma oh jeez Oh, uh, sorry. That's that 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 flies to the top of my list just because I I just got that anyway. Okay. Uh, anyway, where, where are we at? Art Morelli I, now. What's that? Where are we at? Art Morelli now. Yeah, we're on Art Morelli. Uh, Simon Kiar leaving Rome with all the Romanisti, all the Romans in his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice, Arthur. No oh, gosh. All right, Uncle Sharmer, uh, Gallerini and Vecino auditioning for the Spurs transfer under Conte. I, I'm like this island boy. I'm like this island boy. I'm like this never gets old. Okay, that's enough of them. Uh, definitely watch the video. These guys are something else. Uh, Galliardini and Vicino, huh? I got it. I got gotcha. you. All right. I nominated this one. There's a few of these from ESPN UK who are very poor at uh, their editing skills. Uh, anyway, so Italy propaganda says how English MFers view Italians. And it says, should Manchester United make Antonio Conte the next manager with a picture of Inzaghi? They did this again <laughs> recently with the, with the hiring at uh, Tottenham. So, And naturally, everybody likes to have fun with this. So uh, at uh, Lolono underscore, uh, Juve legend Antonio Conte, it's a picture of Filippo Inzaghi. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. All right. And this the next one comes from uh, Jerry Mancini. Says uh, Iga Tudor and Max Allegri today. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, at Saturnian with another entry. How Roma fans think Ibrahimovic scored that free kick goal for Milan. <laughs> Is that? It looks like um, what's his name? Former Milan player. Um, oh, his name's escaping me. The defender. Mexes. Looks like yep. Philippe Mexes. Couple guys in the wall playing some grab ass with the wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. All right, Rafa nominating uh, this one, Kendrick again. So the original tweet was uh, curiously, Antonio Conte is going to manage a club with a rooster on it on its crest for the second time in his career. The first time was when he managed Body, and he it's says also it's remarkable. also remarkably similar to Patrick Kendrick bringing it this week. Yeah. Oh. All right. Uh, Nicholas Di Giovanni is nominating uh, his uh, one of his partners in crime, Gianni Delicoli. Uh, Emery, uh, Uai Pierre. Oh, you better read this. You know, you're the polyglot. Emery, Uai Pierre. C'est à tous les Jardins de l'Italie qu'on descend et gagner la Coupe du Monde. Ah, c'est à Jean-Louis Bouffon. Parfait, merci. So they, uh, this is their homage to uh, Buffon, apparently. <laughs> I hope they were trying to spell Buffon, honestly. Very uh, unfortunate spelling. Maybe that's the French-Canadian version of Buffon. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> At uh, Torgrude45 getting on the board. This you? One, Roma 1-2 full-time. Bodo Glimpse 6-1 full-time. Roma won a trophy. Uh, how long since AS Roma won a trophy? 13 years, 166 <laughs> days, 6 hours, 41 minutes, 17 seconds. It's the bonsai tree. Yep. So the original tweet was uh, from Flavio, a Roman fan. It says, I thought Mil Milan was going to show other Italian teams how it's done in the UCL. And then so Mr. Uh, Sempre Milan responded with pictures of victory over Milan, Bodo Glimp beating Roma, uh, obviously how long they've been uh, without a trophy, and missed the bonsai trophy. 
Yeah, uh, our good it's friend, uh, our good friend Giuseppe uh, Justuve. I saw, I caught him on Twitter saying, uh, "I just got home from work. Is Milan, is Milan losing again in the Champions League?" I retweeted <laughs> that. I retweeted that and said, "I just got home from lunch. Is Juve still in ninth? And if they, <laughs> have they still lost seven Champions League finals?" <laughs> And the the love or the lack thereof between Romans and, um, and Milan fans uh, was hot, obviously, out of the game. And so uh, Don Totti, uh, he's back. 20, and he's 2020 turned, champion. 2020 yep. champion says uh, AC Milan in the Champions League and they're Bournemouth. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, my. Um, let's see. And then Totti's armband nominated. Uh, let's see. Uh did he nominate uh-huh. Stephen A. Smith or did he, okay? Yeah. Ah, okay. So this was uh, this was actually I, I just caught I caught this 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 afternoon. Missouri fan Phil getting mad at um, uh, I he guess the guys at nice. the uh, we don't have to go there. I mean, <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. So apparently there was an argument, and Missouri's fan Phil apparently trying to be better than everybody else again. Um, and uh, I think it was like, I can't even remember what I can't even look at the argument. I mean, it just it's finally says, you know, stick to your clown podcast, mid table wrap ups and keep Maradona's name out of your mouth. Um, talking about these Juve guys and Anthony Skanga, who is part of um, the all Juve cast that we work very hard on our clown quote in quotation marks podcast and enjoy doing it. It brings joy to people who watch much like bringing joy to someone by getting their coffee or restarting their laptop for them. <laughs> so. And what does Stephen A. Smith say? Let's be nice. We don't have to go there. I mean, you're not wrong, but you didn't have to say it. I mean, oh, God. Stephen A. Smith. <laughs> oh, man. Yep. Oh, man. Is that the last one? I think it is. That is That is the last one. Who wins? I mean, I think we had a lot of good ones this week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Patrick Kendrick had some really good ones today. The Come On Lads one had me dying. I mean, there's some really good ones. I mean, the, the Mexus lookalike. With a with a free kick goal <laughs> was good. Saturnian. Saturnian, yeah. I'm um, I'm <laughs> no, I'm going with this first one. Uh, one shocking was, uh... scenes at the Juventus Stadium as Stewart stopped the Juventus fans from leaving yes. the stadium to keep watching yes. Allegri ball. Yes, that's good. I'm a I'm gonna go with Patrick Kendrick's first one. Uh, come on, lads. <laughs> the punctuation matters. Whatever you said. Congrats, I can't find it. Saturnian. It's Saturnian 13. You are a co-winner. Where is it? Where is of... it? That's not it. Come on. Oh, here we go. Rafa did it in the rough name. There you go. Punctuation Matters by Patrick Kendrick. Come on, lads. <laughs> All right. So we have a tie. We have Saturnian 13, uh, which I already went ahead and did that and then you're saying that we'll go with patrick kendrick's first entry yeah uh punctuation matters <laughs> okay and that was back on halloween yes sir punctuation matters okay um i wonder how accessible patrick is if we can get him on at some point patrick yeah, if you're listening we'd love to have you as a guest absolutely absolutely uh so uh saturnian 13 and patrick kendrick you are this week's winners of who won calcio twitter uh well played uh remember for who won calcio twitter it's banter it's friendly it's funny but don't be offensive don't be a dick um that's really all we ask so 
Um, anything else while I send this tweet out? Yeah, so I'm going to give us some shout outs um, for, for a couple things. So first, uh, Couchy Connection. I was on the Couchy Connection last night. Had lots of fun. Uh, uh, had a couple of Romans on there. Uh, Chris and Mass were on there as well with us. Uh, we had a lot of fun talking about Roma Milan and, and obviously Jerry and, and, and Alex. I uh, really had a blast. So shout out to them. Give them a follow for sure. I'm um, going to give a shout out to Chiesa de Totti. Uh, one because they put out great content all the time, and also for allowing me to uh, write a little preview for the uh, for the Roma Milan game, which I got right. Um, but uh, yeah, I definitely give them a follow. It's fantastic work that Chiesa de Tosi does, and and Chris in particular for um, um, allowing me to uh, write for them uh, for the preview for the second time I've done that for them. And then also, uh, I'm gonna give a shout out to the the all the people who have uh, yes. in recent weeks have assisted us in the fan camps. A fan cam reactions. Uh, so, the, from where we left off last time, Sean McIntosh did a nice one for Lazio reaction. Lazio Inter. Uh, we had Anthony from in, uh, Interworld Wide did one for Lazio Inter as well. Get the Inter reaction. Uh, Joe Cappuccino for Juve Roma, uh, giving us the Juventus perspective. Uh, obviously, I mentioned Ryan Malik, Ryan Malik uh, for Porto Milan, the first leg. Gianni from the Calcio guys gave us his Roma Napoli reaction. He's a Roma and Napoli fan, so that was a very unique reaction to get out of there. Uh, his buddy Nick uh, for the Inter Juve, the Derby d'Italia. Uh, Nick gave us his reaction for Juventus. Um, Uncle Sharma gave us the Inter perspective from the Derby d'Italia. Uh, Sabrina Belmonte uh, for Roma Milan. And then also on the other side, excuse me, it's Chris, Steven. Steven Chiavallo uh, gave us the Roma perspective. He's from Chiesa de Totti. That's what I say, Chris. I'm thinking of other Chris from uh, the podcast last night. Um, from the podcast last night, Jerry Mancini giving us his Lazio uh, uh, pointers from Atalanta Lazio. And on the flip side, Dan Pizzotta, who we've had on from before, Las, uh, Atalanta Las Vegas. Uh, all of them, thank you for your for your great reactions for the big games. Please keep them coming. If you want to you know, join us, please let us know. Send, send us a DM, either on Syria Sit Down or, or, or Frank and I individually. Uh, we would love to have you on to do your reactions after the game. It's just a, anything under five minutes, quick post-match reaction uh, using your phone. And, uh, yeah, we really want to make sure we spread the love, let people know about all the creators uh, in the Syria hemisphere. And, uh, yeah, that's what we're all doing. All about love and all about spreading the wealth. So uh, keep them coming. Thank you all. It's an, out, it's an outstanding initiative, Richard. Well done for getting that off the ground and all the work you're doing to help make those videos shine too. And uh, I, uh, I, 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 I love it. I, I love. I've watched. Every, I've watched just about every one of them. Um, it's great stuff. It's great insight. Just getting the fans' perspective, and you know, and it's also good because you know. It helps me to catch a thing or two that you know, we, or you know that 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 I don't bring up on the podcast, that you don't bring up on the podcast, makes you look at a team a little bit differently. So, uh, excellent stuff, and we're going to keep rolling with that. And I'm sure we're going to have some uh, Juve Fiorentina reaction. We'll have some uh, Milan Inter reaction. Uh, you know, so if you're interested in doing that, if you're interested in posting a video and, and being part of this channel, hit us up. Uh, we'd uh, we'd, we'd We'd, we'd uh, love to make arrangements to have you on. So with all of that, we'll put, we'll put a bow on this edition of Serie A Sit Down. Richard, anything else to uh, shamelessly plug? Nope. If you want to follow me at our underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N. Awesome. And I'm at FTC underscore 21. Serie A Sit Down. We have our own channel on iTunes and on SoundCloud. We can be on Sp Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever there are podcasts. There is Serie A Sit Down uh, at Serie A Sit Down 
on Twitter or Instagram with any comments, any takes, uh, anything you'd like us to cover on future podcasts. We're all uh, eyes and ears for that. We're also available uh, and can be reached on Facebook as well. Look up Setia Sit Down and join those pages. As far this is our YouTube channel. Please subscribe. Please drop a like if you enjoyed the video. Uh, helps us out. means a lot to us. Um, everyone in the chat, thank you for uh, spending some time with us tonight. Uh, all of you listening, thank you for taking the time to bend an ear. This has been uh, a thrill. Uh, we will be back Sunday night, Richard, with some uh, Darby recap. You know it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome stuff. So uh, this has been City I Sit Down, a podcast of World Football Index. For Richard, I'm Frank. Tell your paisans about us. Ciao.